Sirius 197, XM202, the virus. The Ron and Fez show starts right now. Okay, let's get down to it, boppers. Uh, buddies, it's the Ron and Fez Show. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. We'll be taking your... That right. Ichibans, anything you want to talk about today? Anything at all going on in the world? I know we had a big Oscar weekend, big independent uh, awards weekend. A little b-ball returns to the Big Apple. Suddenly Hicks is jumping on a bandwagon and excited. Knicks fans, baby. Yeah, I know. Come on. Mello. Uh, Earl's got us going all the way now. I don't know how that <laughs> happened so quickly, but uh, Earl didn't even watch the Academy Awards last night. <laughs> what? Because now how long you've known Earl for years, you have him to know to be Johnny Baseball? Yep. I mean, he's baseball guy. Yeah, no. Now yeah. he's suddenly basketball guy. Mm-mm, what the fuck? What up? Poser, Earl. I don't know if he's a poser. He's a poser. He's just, well, he doesn't, probably for 10 years, he didn't want to root for a fucking awful team. I, think I don't know if that makes you a bad person. <laughs> Some of the Chauncey Billups jersey. Well, that's a good idea. That's not bad. <laughs> All right, so we'll take your Ichi Bonds today. It was a big, big Oscar night. Um, I don't think there was even a single surprise during the entire thing. No. Um, and it was also interesting to see that Glee has now taken over the country, and that's all the Oscars were. I honestly felt like I was in high school auditorium, <laughs> one of those days where everyone's forced in, mm-hmm. and then the uh, the kids that the teachers like get to run some kind of program, uh, and you're wondering, like, why are we even fucking in here? This is for them, not for us. Yeah. Come on. So it basically had a, hey, everybody, welcome. I'm going to go smoke. This uh, Anne Hathaway is such a corporate wife. She just reminds me of when you would meet the CEO's wife at the big house. And she's taking you around and acting like, hey, we're having fun. I want you to relax here. But you know you shouldn't relax <laughs> under any circumstances. Well, she's crazy either, either way. She that fucking con man boyfriend. All right, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ for your Ichibans. And Dave will tell you what that means. Number one. Number one. Number one. That easy. That simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris in Atlanta, you're on the air. Hey, Ronnie. Uh, contrary to popular belief, Lloyd Bridges is still alive. Barely. Are uh, you talking about last night's show and uh, the elderly Kirk Douglas? Kirk Douglas, not Lloyd. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Kirk Douglas, that was... See, yeah, had nothing together there, did you, Chris? Yeah, I really blew it, didn't I? Your own mind is going. Um, I know that that's sad. That's the (laughs) I I, that by the way, it never works for anyone. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know why people write things down, but it never works out. But it is really interesting the way that we view the elderly and the 
fear and disgust that we have that this is what could happen to a buyer. Because if you're listening to this show, you never looked as good as Kirk Douglas did in the 1950s. We don't have many human beings like that. No. So this guy was this, you know, circus performer turned uh, big actor, uh, great body, lantern jaw, strong voice, and you see what time does to human beings. It just grinds us into a fine powder. So when everybody sees that, they panic and act like, oh my God, that's awful. Get it off the TV. Ah. That can't happen to me. His hands were gnarled. Weird. I don't know how old is Kirk Douglas, do you know? You got a, a fucking time on that? 94 years old. 94 years young, I like to say. I love the idea, the, the angle that he wouldn't get off the fucking stage. <laughs> well, I imme- I immediately jumped up and started applauding, you know, and Larry King's back. And uh, I was wrong. It was Kirk Douglas. Uh, but then they had that Bruce Blanche written fucking joke with the cane. Where they, you know, oh, were acting yeah. like they were seeing who picks first. Uh, some weird twink fucking presenter. One, one of the weirdest things in America now is seeing that our our biggest entertainers, the Oscars, uh, can't entertain us. Mm-hmm. We are beyond being able to k- be kept entertained. Yeah, Nikki Fink off Deadline.com was just tearing them apart all night long. Oh, uh, was that what you, who you were following along with? I was following very, like, Jesus Christ, Nikki. Really now, I don't understand this fucking point that people need to also have their laptop yeah. watching other people's put-downs. St- put Are we now no longer able to watch a TV show by ourselves? We have to see popular opinion? No, we need other people's comments to fucking yeah. <laughs> infiltrate our own brain as we're watching the fucking thing. Because apparently what we're saying is good enough. It's fucking crazy. Well, people kept saying about uh, the backstage camera that I guess that they were twittioing. Okay, yeah. Uh, and I'm like, but the front stage camera sucks. <laughs> the backstage camera's got to even be worse. Um, here is uh, Tom. Tom, you're on fest. Hey, Mr. B. Not only is he 94, but the dude had like three strokes. He's, he's lucky to be breathing air. Let me tell you something with Kirk Douglas. Uh, years ago, I think I've told this story on the air. Fez and I took the guys from our late night show uh, when we were in New York out to dinner. And it had to be 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning. Kirk Douglas comes in with his wife. Uh, and it was at Elaine's on the Upper East Side. He was in his 80s and ordered a fucking steak Hell at yeah. like fucking 1 o'clock in the morning. So I like like most of you guys that are putting him down, we're fucking sound asleep then. And he's having <laughs> drinks and a steak at one o'clock in the morning. It's Kirk Douglas, baby. Um I'll tell you the thing, and I wish Fezzy was here today. Fezzy was so upset about some snub job that Corey Haim had gotten at some other stupid award show. Yeah. And Fez was screaming, This better not happen at the Oscars. And I'm like, it won't, Fez. His people are going to call the Oscars. They're going to fucking say to him, uh, make sure you got the Corey Haim stuff up. He was a big actor in the 80s. You know, everyone will go, ah, for Corey Haim. They fucking didn't give it to him again. That would kill Fez. (laughs) So I don't know what what went down, why they... I mean, now it's got to be personal. 
I guess he was too much of a tree. Maybe he just burned too many bridges. What bridges can you burn? You're <laughs> fucking dead. They put up pictures of Mussolini now. I don't understand why Corey Haim got left out. And I don't know if anyone else did. I mean, I saw, like, technical guys yeah. that fucking popped up there. There was a best boy, an electrician. <laughs> I don't know why you can't have a little love for Corey Haim. I, maybe because... He OD'd, and that seems too embarrassing for them. But it's got to be on the place that it's now, you know, somewhat personal. Uh, Bill, you're on Hey, Ronnie, you, you're talking about those people Twittering all night long. If somebody was sitting in the room with you and kept commenting like that, you'd look at them and tell them to shut the hell up. You're watching TV. Um, but we do want to see what the the... See, the weird thing is now now you can follow celebrities, right? Mm -hmm. So it's basically like you have a celebrity with you that you could sit. And I guess unless you are, you know, if you're not sitting next to a really funny person, it might need the outside fucking gimmick. But uh, it does seem odd to me. And I, I think most comics were online last night. Twittering their disgust with, you know, (laughs) the fact that Kirk Douglas is older and what do his balls look like. I mean, we're not exactly the round table here. Saggy. Yeah. Yeah, it's not really... But they're very long. (laughs) Dorothy Parker that you're fucking following her Twitter. Uh, Boy, you sound just like shit. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you something. What's up? What's up, Ronnie B? You're too young to be this old. You are fucking too young to be this old. Proud of my life. Um, Ryan, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, Ronnie B. Sounds yeah. like a million bucks. Thanks. Hey, uh, they forgot uh, good old Gary Coleman last night. No, maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't remember Gary Coleman being in the movies. He was a fucking TV guy where Corey Haim was primarily a movie guy. I don't think Corey Haim ever had a TV series. I could be wrong about that. This is going to shock you. I didn't follow his career the way I should have. Um, but he did have an 80s career, particularly with the other Corey. But I said this to Fez before. Somebody's got to pick up the fucking phone and say, not only, hey, I'm calling you, don't forget Corey Haim, but we're sending some tape over. This is the clip we want you to use. I can't imagine the Oscar people wouldn't be glad to have that. Um... Tyler, you're on the Run of Fest show. Well, morning, buddy. Yeah. Uh, I got an issue. Yeah. What do you got, pal? Uh, Charlie Sheen $20 million for canceling the show. Emotional distraught is what he's saying. Yeah, I saw it on TV today. He's not suing anyone else. He He's saying he's going to sue. It actually takes, <laughs> you know, a lawyer. Uh, the Charlie Sheen shit, and we'll we'll honestly get to it. Uh, today. Uh, this is the funny thing about Charlie Sheen. A, he tells ABC, I'm doing an exclusive for, uh, with you for 2020. In the time that after he shot that, he also called the Today Show, had them come over and do something. So now your fucking 2020 exclusive is worthless. But I blame ABC. They should have run that shit live. They should have just said, look, we are not waiting for Charlie Sheen to do something else nutty. Uh, did you see any of it at all, Hicks? Oh, yeah, I saw it. It's fucking... It's far less funny to see him 
than it is to yeah. listen to him. When you're listening to him, when he's calling in his batshit radio shows, winning, <coughs> it's. It's funny because you're like, well, this asshole, if he's on any drug, it's fucking some kind of Ted Nugent crack. Because he just sounds like Ted Nugent. He's just talking as stupid as Ted Nugent talks. So you can laugh at it. But when you see him looking like three years from Kurt Douglas, why he's sitting there on the Today Show, you actually don't feel so good about laughing at the guy. Uh -uh. He looks like shit. He's not making a lot of sense the eyes are twitching back and forth he looks like the fucking crazy guy sleeping in the bus station he doesn't look fucking good i don't know what exactly is wrong with him um he's got the goddesses he does have the goddesses and they love him very much and he goes over everything's um well you know if anybody's uh talking and going on he's right there for him but uh, I don't see a long term. I can't wait to see how this plays out. It's it's getting fucking crazy, and uh, you know it was in that song in Crazy Heart <laughs> last year that fucking falling feels like flying. You know, for a little while, <laughs> uh, he definitely feels like I'm up in the air, and he is, but going off a cliff. Well, well, well. Look who it is here, J. A. Lawson's. J. A. Lawson's giving us a call. Hey, how, Ronnie. Hey, how you doing, hon? I'm okay. How did you guys like the show last night? Um, Hicks, what are you giving a scale of one to ten? <laughs> one, <laughs> two at the most? <laughs> Christ. Well, I have to admit, I didn't even watch the show, but... See, I don't was, understand that. How could you not watch it? It's like missing a Super Bowl to me. It was, uh, I don't know, like, celebrities make me really uncomfortable. <laughs> now, what, what is it that you hate about celebrity? They're just so awkward and and celebrity interviews just make me very uncomfortable i just like the clothes i'm in it for the clothes so you just watched the we're walking down the red carpet i watched the red carpet was on e and it was like they were handing out xanax at the door of this place nobody could speak and it was like everyone was half asleep and their eyes were half closed it was bizarre all right we don't have fez um so i don't know who's dressed well and who wasn't dressed well <laughs> do you have any idea of who actually looked good last night and who looked bad um who looked good i think mila mila kungas is how do you say her last name her dress was just wonderful and i think she looked comfortable in it and that's I think that to be well-dressed, you have to appear comfortable. Like, if you're always adjusting yourself and worried about things falling out, it's just going to look terrible. Now, so, Hicks, uh, you got a chance to see her, right? Mm -hmm. You thought she looked great, I assume, too, right? She's popping out. But, Come on. Yeah, but is she going to look bad in anything? Could she have shown up in, like, jeans and a fucking tank top, and we'd be like, perfect. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Come on. <clears throat> So it might be cheating when you take somebody who's that naturally beautiful. It's really, it's really not fair. It's like when it's you put, you can put any dress on her. But I, I feel like she looked really comfortable. She dressed her age, and but again, she was another one. She just seemed angry and high, and well, all of her. She did not get nominated, and it was the first award all year she didn't get nominated for. And I thought it was kind of ballsy that she showed up because I saw her on the red carpet, and I was going, "Uh oh, huh? She doesn't know. She doesn't know she didn't get nominated." Hicks, you can't even laugh without fucking. Going into your TB cough. Apologize, Ron. <laughs> Smoked a what bit about, too much. What about uh, Michelle Williams? Did you see her speak with Seacrest? Yeah. Now, did you... Oh, uh, oh, just the way she was acting or whatever? It was It was like she had marbles in her mouth. Why was she talking like that? Uh, 
I, I, you know, none of the rest of us have ever had to be stopped by Ryan Seacrest and asked what we're wearing. <laughs> it might be just like, I can't believe I have to do this. And they started asking her about her kid. I think she felt really uncomfortable about that. Yeah, that was out of line. Yeah. And the only, all those other people have kids. Yeah. But, you know, Heath Ledger isn't their dead dad, so he doesn't bring it up. <laughs> How's the baby? Don't fucking worry about my baby, Ryan Seacrest. Have you thought about Heath lately? Or, you know, just asking. I laughed when uh, it was Ryan Seacrest and Jennifer Hudson. Yeah. So it was just this American Idol <laughs> thing here. Like old friends and shit. I was like, uh, I was hoping he'd see, who do you think is going to get voted <laughs> off this week? Uh, who, anybody good. that looked particularly bad to you, Jay? Oh, I thought, um, uh, I hate to say it, Marissa Tomei. She was all pelvis. It was like she had she had this weird drop waist um, thing going on, but it also had a waist waist. So it just emphasized, like, the whole fupa area. Now, it was very now, odd. Here's the thing. I thought that her dress looked somewhat cheaper, though. I kind of felt sorry for her because oh. it looked like maybe her sister-in-law went to a wedding <laughs> wasn't using it anymore, and they tried to tighten it up. It just it's didn't look of, like that she had the kind of money that the other girls had. Mm-mm. It did, or like someone had given it to her in the er, in the mid-90s, and it just been in the back of a closet for a long time, yeah. and just pulled it out. What was but, the other famous dress that had like a uh, framework, and then some yellow mustard on the sides? I can't remember whose it was. Kate Blanchett? Yeah, that's it. Thanks oh. for the, did you Every, see that one? Yeah, everyone was, you know, of course, all the fashionistas were like, oh, it's it's wonderful, it's wonderful. Um, but I'm sure middle America didn't quite understand understand the dress. But it looked wonderful when she walked and when she was moving in it. Pictures, it didn't look that good. I kind of thought it looked Amishy. It it kind of did have an Amishy. She was all covered up and, like, she had to stand up really straight. I would have liked to have seen her, like, pushing a plow and had some kind of, like, mule there or oh, something. Like, term. we do things our own way. Well, we don't know how she came in. Maybe she came in on a carriage. I don't know. That is true. They never show you that part of it. They don't show you that part. So you, this is the oddest thing to me. For me, you just watching the red carpet, that would be like me watching the Super Bowl pre-show, <laughs> seeing the teams go out, stretch, and then turning off the show. That's enough. <laughs> Well, I can get all the, you know, I can see all the good parts. Like, I just go to, like, freaking Gawker TV after, and they have it all clipped together in five minutes, and I don't have to sit through all the, I don't have to sit through all the awkward parts. Well, that is a good point, I guess. If I mean... I, if you got something else to do with your life, I don't. I mean, the closer was on, so... <laughs> no. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what that is. Then you missed the little girl, the kids from Staten Island singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. I turned that off as soon as I heard what the song was. See, it's awkward. People, it's like, I'm, I'm watching Twitter and people are like, I'm muting, I'm turning it off. But they don't mean that. They want to feel aggravated. It's yeah, one of those things where you want to hate it. Mm-hmm. And we do this weekly with American Idol where you're just, you have this awful show on. You're yelling, this blows, but you're not doing anything else. Mm-hmm. Come back next I- week. I, I have enough awkwardness in my life. Like, I need to do everything I can to be calm and serene. And, and celebrity and award shows and even, like, late night, like, interview shows, I can't watch celebrity interviews. It's, you can't watch Letterman? I, really, I can watch everything but the celebrity interview. It's just... Because you think they're too stupid. It's not that they're stupid. It's just that no one can say what they really want to say. Everyone's promoting something. And no one's real. Yeah. All right, I'm stopping my other shows. That's it for me. Hicks. No, yes. don't. No, don't listen to her. Don't she's, listen. She's turned me around. Now. No. 
Right? All right. I do appreciate it, and thanks for uh, filling in for Fez by letting us know uh, who looked uh, good and who didn't, because I can't no. tell. No, no, no problem, tell. guys. All right. Take care of yourself. Bye. I know Scarlett Johansson looks just got fucked with that fucking crazy hair. She's I thought she looked fabulous. Oh, she looks sexy as hell. <laughs> and I think that the looking like you just got fucked look is actually a very, very appealing look. Hell yeah. I was like, damn, Scarlett Johansson, fuck goddamn hairstylist and shit. Was that the black part of you? Was That's that a little the... black of me. I didn't understand it. Damn, girl. Damn. What the fuck? You've got a little shade in you today. <laughs> I didn't get much sleep last night. Do I got to tell Watley he's got to skip the funeral and get back here? <laughs> no. He's staying down there. I can't believe you laughed about him being at a funeral. Uh, Daniel. I wasn't laughing about a funeral. Uh, you're on the run of Fez show. Hey, Ron. How's it going? A yeah. uh, couple of things. They left off Brittany Murphy, uh, too, and I believe also Barbara Phillips. Uh, hold on. Let's uh, hold on. Brittany Murphy is more than a year ago, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, no, I think it was at the beginning of this, this past year. No, it was December 20th, 2009. So, yeah. All they, right, know the stats of death. I like that. Well, um, but there's the only other thing, such a thing called The Google. only other thing I didn't like. Jesus, you they can't left off call Heath Ledger, in. too. Look, I need good callers today. I'm not going to lie to you here. J.A. Lawson's called up. She had something ready to go. What she said kind of amazed me, though. And I would love to hear from anyone who did anything else but watch the Oscars last night. Because it's baffling to me that you would skip it, even though in the world of Oscars, they've done, what, 83 of these now? Yeah. If they probably ranked them, this would have came in 83rd. <laughs> probably. <laughs> and yet, it's like having a bad Christmas. You're still ex- uh, experiencing Christmas. Yeah, it's still there. You have now said... I'm not doing something that the rest of the country is. Like, I talk to people, they go, I don't watch the World Series. How can you not watch the World Series? How can you not see the Daytona 500? How can you not uh, fucking know that it's 4th of July and look up in the sky and see some fireworks? You gotta lock in. Um, I knew James Franco was gonna be terrible. I was still watching, though. But you know what was really funny? You know who didn't know that James uh, Franco was going to be terrible? Is James Franco. When If you watch people that have hosted the award shows, uh, Chris Rock, John Stewart, David Letterman, leading up to these um, Oscars, they were all like, hey, we're working real hard. We're, we're really... Wa-. <laughs> these two, James Franco and Anne Hathaway, like, whatever. It's all just about having fun. For the young They weren't that fucking nervous. <clears throat> oh, no. And they should have been. They should have been fucking petrified. They didn't give a fuck. Um, Chris, you're on Ron and Fez. All right, let, let, well, before you do this, Chris, I want to go back to some of the other people that were left. Um, people writing in Barbara Billingsley and uh, Tom Bosley. Again, I think of them as TV stars. You've got to be a movie star to be remembered at the Oscars. Uh, you know, because they're also not going to put up Duke Snyder. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Could have. Um, Chris, you're on Ron and Fez. Yeah, what would you think about Trent Reznor winning an Academy Award? That was kind of crazy, right? Uh, well, he did do the thing, and he's been winning other awards uh, leading up to it. Yeah. I didn't think it was an overly good uh, soundtrack. But with the funny thing, with him and his hair, with his haircut, I can't recognize him anymore. <laughs> and I thought that he was the guy behind him, because he's kind of got thicker, mm-hmm. 
and cut his hair. And I remember him being pretty thin. So I'm like, is that fucking dude with the big nose? And did his hair hide the big nose? I was completely lost during this. Yeah, it was weird. I, 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 was, I was confused when they won. <laughs> but I was like, all right, Trent Reznor, good shit. Um, but I wish he would have came up there dressed like Trent Reznor <laughs> at the fucking MTV Awards. Um, here's Jeremy. You're on the Run of Fez show. Hello? Yeah. Hey, uh, I didn't watch the awards show. I'm a big movie fanatic. I got like 600 collection DVDs. Uh, but I don't watch award shows because they piss me off so much every time I see someone win who I don't think should have won. I know, but don't you want to be pissed off at that? Don't you want to like the sit there and fucking scream, how could they give it to this person? Mm-hmm. That happened with documentary for me. And I wish I could be here today busting balls on Fez because he his predictions were just in the shitter because he bought into that. They're turning young, so this is going <laughs> to... They gave out the awards to the same kind of people they always give the awards to. I, yeah, I was way off. I was just picking dark horses on whatever Thursday with Paul. I was fucking... I don't think I got... The only thing I got right was Christian Bale. I dominated. Dominated the fucking get-together I was at. Nice. I won by like seven awards. Shit. It was over early on. Love it. Early on. Uh, here's Chris and Philly. You're Hey, guys. I didn't watch it either. I actually watched the Nick game, and I... I kind of gotten to the point in my life where I have a hard time watching any award show when celebrity celebrities get another celebrity dancing. I just get turned off by it. So about eight years ago, I just pretty much stopped watching any award show, period. Now, you are a movie fan. You just don't watch the Oscars. Right, yeah. I can enjoy a movie. I, can, I mean, to me, it's, you know, it's hard to judge art, like what's better. I mean, you could say, you know. Uh, I can uh, do it. Yeah. No, you I just do it every time you look at anything. Yeah, I mean, Iron Man is a worse movie than, you know, The King's Speech, obviously. But when you start getting into, like, a high-level quality film, it just comes down to one's opinion. It's not definitive. Yeah, well, we know that. That's why part of the fun is to sit there and yell back at him, no fucking way that should have went to Winner's Bone. <laughs> and I, oh, I love the fact that they've moved the cartoons up into that because now I know kids are crying. That a kid will cry when Toy Story doesn't get something. And they think of Woody, and I'm guessing the other guy's uh, other name is uh, Spaceman. Yeah. Uh, when they know that Woody and Spaceman got their feelings hurt. Um, ben, Ben, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, Ronnie B. Yes. What do you think about Christian Bale forgetting his wife's name and his acceptance? He didn't forget his wife's name. He started to cry as he said her name. Oh, really? Yeah. All right. Punch it out. Peace. Uh... I do like when anybody goes to say something like, I want to thank Chris Chris Stanley. And they have that little fucking moment that they feel fucking, like, horrible and embarrassed. Um, Dan, Dan, you're on Manifest. Yeah, Ronnie, were you a little disappointed that Banksy didn't get to go up there? I was way disappointed that Banksy wasn't Why there. They do it? Uh, I did like that Hanksy came out and did the first award. Mm -hmm. Shocked the world with that. Classy. Everybody likes Hanksy. Uh, but Banksy, yeah, that was one of the things that you did want to see. And it just doesn't work out that way. At least Mr. Brainwash was at the Independent Spirit Awards. <laughs> he did, and stayed up there for way too long. Yeah, he's talking crazy, man. The Independent Spirit Awards are kind of fucking funny, too. Because they're all like, yeah, dude, this is real fucking film. <laughs> and then, like, the next day, they all go to the Oscars dressed up. You know what? This is what it's about, the kind of brother and sisterhood that we have here, making some badass fucking cinema the way we want to. How can you not like this shit? 
Again, it's like skipping the fucking Super Bowl because it's going to be a bad game. Come on. Of course it's going to be a bad game, but it's a game we're all watching together. Um, Flip, you're on my Fez. Ron, I am so disappointed that you didn't catch Shameless last night. I watched Californication and Shameless. It's on William demand. I never watch October. it on a Sunday night. <laughs> I haven't watched it. I haven't watched one of those shows uh, while they're running now. Anything that's on demand, fuck you, waiting for myself. If you really well, want to get me, you got to get rid of my on demand. Oh, no. If you want me that. in the moment. <laughs> that's the only way I'll be there in the moment. If not, if you give me the opportunity to watch this later, I will watch all my TV at one thirty in the morning. I can't Why would I want to be sitting there at 8, 9 o'clock at night watching the television? Fuck that. Um, here is uh, Toby. Toby, you're on my face. Hey there, Mr. B. Uh, last night uh, we did some of the Mardi Gras down in Louisiana. Mm. Well, you only have, what, 40 nights of that? <laughs> well, you got the, it's the whole day affair. You know, you party, you cook, you know. Yeah. Might trash it up. Nobody watched the Oscars in the Lafayette last night. No one watched the Lafayette. All right, buddy. Um, puke on each other. Did you have any high points for you that worked? I liked, actually, I liked um, Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law. I thought they were f- somewhat decent presenters. A little, little too planned for me. I like the two writers. I thought had good speeches. Mm-hmm. Oh, Aaron Sorkin was fucking great. Yeah, and then the other guy who wrote King's Speech, who said he came up there and it was an old guy and said, "My parents told me that I would peak late," <laughs> and I thought that that was funny. That was good. Uh, Randy Newman, always. Oh yeah, wonderful. And he gets the big fucking win. Bam. Well, here's what's really funny, and I know no one else is going to rem- remember this, but when he won his first Oscar, and it was like after seventeen fucking times, J Lo. Gave him the Oscar. He goes up, gives J-Lo a kiss, and he's like, that was better than the Oscars. <laughs> you know, kissing a pretty girl, forget about the Oscars. I'd rather have that than this award. And everybody's laughing. Last night goes up, and Jennifer Hudson has it, and he just goes, thanks. And I was fucking <laughs> cracking up right away. All right. This is a song I wrote about Asians and midgets. Um... Here's David. David, you're on my face. Hey, Ronnie. Uh, I didn't watch the Oscars for two reasons. Uh, the first is, you know, I can get any of the snippets I want off the uh, TV the next day, kind of like you're on demand. It's on my terms, and, and I don't have to sit through whatever, three hours. Of All right, now, do you do the same hours. thing with the Super Bowl, though? Well, no, because that goes to my second reason, because I'm a straight male, and I don't care what they're wearing. I don't care what, you know, silly you First of all, when you go like this, I don't care what they're wearing. I don't think straight male is something I would have fucking bet on with you. Oh, come you, on, you, Ron. That fucking term alone. Come on, Ron. Fuck their dresses. Fuck their dresses. I can do what I want when I want. I had three cocks and six balls to play with last night. Uh. Fuck the awards. But if someone said to you, look, I don't watch the Super Bowl. I can catch the best of on what? ESPN no. later. You think that they were insane? Weird amount of tension where you could see people fucking looking like unfucking hip. Like no matter who you are, you could be Jeff Bridges. You already won your award. You've been nominated a bunch of times. You're going to go down in history as one of the fucking things. 
and you know tonight's not your night. But when they're announcing that, you look in his eyes and he's like, please say fucking Jeff Bridges. Just fucking give it to Jeff Bridges. That's who I am. Two in a row. I'm Jeff Bridges. Say my fucking name, please. And that is a great fucking moment. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's that moment of tension. That moment of will it or won't it fucking happen. Um, Here is uh, Aaron. Aaron, you're on my face. Died this year. Names they decide to put up. It didn't even seem like they had a lot of them last Oh, uh, it was mostly just technical guys. It's, that's what it felt like. I don't know. Well, Liam Neeson. Wesley Nielsen. <laughs> <laughs> you are just fucking seriously Well, come on. They're both today. last names are Nielsen and they both begin with an L. It's, no, it's, one of them is not last name Neeson. No, there isn't? No. Oh, all right. Then I was way off. I apologize. I need you at this time, Hicks. I'm right here. But you're fucking sideways. Were you partying all no, last night? I was a Alaska party, sure. Uh, see, here's what I don't understand. Everyone makes the big things up. Oh, we're Americans. We're all Americans. There is very few times that people share moments together these days. <laughs> you're going to feel it. Uh, you know, we used to have it... Uh, Almost kind of constant in this country was something like Ed Sullivan. When everybody, you know, came over, everyone saw Elvis at the same time. Everyone saw the Beatles at the same time. Uh, You know, you do that thing of, uh, do you remember where, you know, there was a whole generation that did the, where were you when the first man landed on the moon? Or everyone remembers where they were when Kennedy was shot. But... Are people really going to do... Do you remember this first time that you saw YouTube clips of... You know, that? it's not that shared thing between all of us. When people start to go off in different directions, this is why we feel disenfranchised. This is why we feel uh, disconnected. Um, here's uh, Jen, Detroit. Hi there. Um... I just had to say that it's like when Melissa Leo won, she wasn't the only one who dropped the F-bomb. It totally screwed up my Oscar pool. Uh, who else? Oh, because you you didn't think she was going to win? No, I had the little girl from True Grit. Looked like a little sweet 16 princess, too. She should have gotten it. They uh, they kind of ran that bullshit story of, about her on us, too, that she was going to be the big upset special yeah. and that everybody was mad at Melissa Leo, which... I didn't get at all. Yeah, but when Miss Melissa Leo dropped the F-bomb, totally fucking planned. Yeah. Totally, you saw in her eyes, hey, I'm 52 years old. I sh- I'm never going to be back here again. I'm going to be fucking footnoted in the Oscar history. Do we have that uh, clip at all? Yeah. I want you to watch her when she says this, and you no, will see audio. that. What's that? I just have the audio. I'll throw the video up now. You don't have to. Don't worry about it. It's one of those fucking days. You're just no. I'll last just night was a rough seconds. fucking night. No, it's no big deal. Yes. But the but the fucking point is, Jen, uh, she really didn't slip and say that. It was definitely fucking planned. Yeah, well, I mean, because she was saying golly gee in the beginning of her speech and right. everything like that. Maybe she was trying to lull everyone in a false sense of security or something. But, I mean, you know, and good for her. She was looking around like she's never been in a big building before. Like, oh, look, there's people up high. Yeah. Like, you've never cute. been to a Lakers game? <laughs> <laughs> there's cheap sheets? 
but yeah, it was an honest emotion. But you know, she did screw up my Oscar pool, so I'm still sort of mad for her. But good hurt for her. Uh, how well did you do? How many did you get right in your Oscar pool? Oh, I only got five, man. You're awful. You you've screwed up your own Oscar pool. <laughs> five. That's really bad. You're gonna have nineteen twenty to fucking win a, a decent Oscar pool. Five. You could be throwing fucking darts and at least hit five of them. Bill, you're on running fez. Ron, I have never once in my life seen the Oscars, and I, I'm I don't I don't understand all the excitement about it. Well, what don't you get? I just don't understand why people care that much about who wins awards for movies. I I just don't get it. I, I involve myself in other things. Well, do you know that the people who make the movies care, right? You know, like well, Francis Ford Coppola. Who, who's your favorite fucking director? Um, probably Ron Bennington. No, the just shut the fuck up. Then. I hate when people call up and act like, I want to be involved in a conversation. I'm a person who's, who's bringing something. And I ask them their own director, and they can't think of one. So why fake it? Why just call up and say, I don't care about movies? Then we would have a conversation about that. He reminds me of the guy the other day who acted like, well, money. Oh, how much oh, money do you do? Guy, yeah. 1.5. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, here's Ben. Ben in Atlanta. You're in Ronnie Fez. Ronnie, uh, I just want to start off by saying I'm not hating on the Oscars whatsoever, but in the comparison to the Super Bowl, I feel like I could sit and watch the Super Bowl with a lot more excitement than just the anticipation, you know, a couple times an hour, it feels like, of not knowing who's getting an award. Or there's plenty of times like that the, more, you know? there is plenty of times that the Super Bowl is not good though, and even when it's not good, we, you know, you've watched the Super Bowl. You're doing stuff that uh, is a shared experience. I don't know why we've all turned on the shared experience into this thing of. I caught little clips of it later. It's perfect. Well, people don't want to waste their time. People just don't want to be bored. They just want to get the fucking most, you know, uh, the f- most interesting shit immediately on the internet. They just they can't stand sitting there and just sitting through something that's not fucking crazy or a, a, a fuck up. But they, uh, I thought we were a celebrity obsessed culture, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have all the celebrities in the world in one building, <laughs> and all the other celebrities that aren't there are watching this stupid award show. It's what people do. It's like saying. Well, I'm not going to yell Happy New Year at fucking on New Year's Eve. I know it's stupid. And yet, what are you not going to yell it out? It's part of the American experience. It's fun. Um, Rich, you're on the Run of Fez show. See, I have to say, Ronnie, i got to bring the mood down. Duke Snyder has passed away. Mickey's got someone to shag the outfield with, I guess. This is terrible. Well, Duke was how old? Million, million and a half. I mean, he played for the fucking Brooklyn Dodgers. <laughs> it, Kirk Douglas. It would have been awful if in 1960 the plane went down and he was in it. But you can't feel overly bad. Um, Paul, Paul in Jersey, you're on running fest. Hey, how you doing, Ronnie? Yeah. Hey, man, do you think that, I don't know, for me, it's like an overexposure of award shows. Like, when we were younger, you know, the Oscars were the big thing, you know, and everybody talked about it, but now there's so many award shows. Do you think people are just becoming desensitized of it? Uh, well, there are a lot of them, and these, you know, we're, we're about 15 in, and that's why there were no surprises. There was no surprises, because we had all the other shows to go by. And there actually is some kind of a weird... 
thing that happened when these award shows started. Now he's got me saying shows, like I'm back in Philly. We went to the show and all smoked and had a coke. Um, but when this thing started, remember that the social network was winning all the awards. Yeah. And then somehow Harvey Weinstein did something. And how it happened, I don't even know. But here's how, how locked in it was. Scott Rudin, who was the producer of the social network... Gave his tickets away and didn't even go. Yeah. He fucking knew that he wasn't going to win. Um, here's uh, Marley Kennedy. You're on my face. Hey, Ron. Yeah. If nobody's watching this show, are they giving away awards? If nobody tunes in, are they going to give away awards? Yeah. Uh, for And they're going to televise this shit? Uh, they probably no, won't tell why. Nobody's even going to know who's the best best director of uh, Winter's Bone or. Uh, Marley, you're calling from Canada, right? <laughs> no, nobody pays attention to Canada, and you still get up and and have food in the morning. No one could tell you who the Prime Minister of Canada is right now. Who? I mean, yeah, but, uh, you, you still have to have your own life. Well, they're the have to um. Here's uh, Joe. Joe in Philly. You're on the fence. Hey, yo, guys. How you doing this morning? Um, I can't steal. I can't um, claim this as my own idea, but ONA were talking about this morning how the whole culture of Twitter has changed the way that you watch these shows. Now, they may not be interesting to certain people, but when you're sitting there and you have your computer up or whatever, a great example was Norm MacDonald. And basically, it gives you, it lets, it's like watching the Oscars or Academy Awards or whatever with these celebrities and you get to watch and see their instant reactions and it makes it more interesting it makes it like you're at a better party than the one that you're at that you can say to yourself i don't have to pay attention to these annoying people i've got norm mcdonald to watch the party with and i'll trade quips with him i get that i totally do get that um and that's why we were planning on doing the thing live last night um which, you know, would have been a lot of fun, but we couldn't uh, work it out with Fez uh, being away. Uh, but, yeah, I would have been totally up to that. Um, here is Sarah in Baltimore. You're on Fez. Hey, Ron. Um, I wanted to know if... I, am I the only one in America who felt kind of awkward when Kirk Douglas came on? Because I couldn't tell how much was, you know, okay, we know he's going to do these gags. Or how much of it was just this old, like, American treasure running away with the show in his last, what could be his last moment of glory? Well, you know what I mean? Well, tell me what, what feels awkward about either one of those. Oh, you know, and, and I understand what you're saying. There's part, of, it was like this weird line I was crossing. It's like on the one hand, I thought, do I, am I supposed to, do I feel sorry for him? No, I probably shouldn't, but yet. I, oh, it was like, yeah, he deserved his last moment of glory, but I didn't know if it was going to go off the tracks. You know what I mean? No, and it kind of did go off the track. It was weird, and he, you kept even saying when the girl was talking, Melissa Leo, he still wanted to run over and grab the mic. Yeah. And this has yeah. happened to all of us before at a wedding when an uncle, <laughs> an elderly uncle, gets up to make a toast, and it goes on too long, and then finally you have to take the fucking the <laughs> microphone off of him. But, right, I think the thing that makes you feel awkward is you realize there is no way out. There is only getting older and dying yeah. is the only thing. And that 
everything that we said last night about uh, Mila Kunis being beautiful, that's not going to fucking stay that way. That's right. a momentary thing. And, you know, God bless him that here he is, like, you know, 95 years old, and he's out there, you know, doing the compete with his cane to see who wins. You know, right. he, he's obviously still got it on, on a very important level, but, it's, oh, but I was just torn. But here's the thing about this old man. He was an action star in the same way that Schwarzenegger was an action star. I mean, he was swinging around on ropes in his day, and uh, he could do trapeze stuff and doing it for 60 years. gymnastics. Right. But I mean, as a star, when he was physically fucking uh, a beautiful, in-shape man, and that's the way you fucking turn out. You can't turn your head from him, Sarah, and I want to grab your chin and your forehead and force you to look at him. Matter of fact, I want you to help him get into the bathtub. I want you to see where life takes us. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, I, I, next time it's going to be Betty White, you know. I hope not. I'm so done with the Betty White thing. Well, She's great. Of course, but they're going to give her that moment, too, someday. Where okay, yeah, that, Her moment is for the fucking TV people. Um, yeah, you're probably right about that. Peace. Thanks. Uh, George, you're on Yeah, I get frustrated when they start cutting off the acceptance speeches, but they have plenty of time for Franco to wear a Marilyn Monroe dress. It's just frustrating. That's when that thing got really high school, when we're supposed to laugh because a guy's in a dress. Yeah, he's got makeup on. And then uh, Anne Hathaway is pretending she's laughing real hard, like, this is so great. You're outrageous. Yeah, Okay. I'll tell you that Anne Hathaway, you got to give her this. She worked her ass off. I mean, she had shit to work with, but she fucking sold it. And at the end of the show, when they had the homeless kids singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow, the fucking, the kids from Staten Island, who, I don't know why anyone thought these kids shouldn't fucking dress up in little suits and fucking dresses. I don't know why they got to come out. Hey, they're poor, so they're in t-shirts. Uh, low rent. But she starts the high fucking tendies kids and just knocking them over. <laughs> just fucking, yeah, this show was banging. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <clears throat> There's no stopping that girl. She's great. And then when she starts to go, I'm going to bring out somebody. I'm so excited. It's going to be around. I'm like, holy shit! It's going to be Merle Streep, and it was fucking Sandra Bullock. Yeah, that she is so pumped, and I'm like, oh, that's right, you're young, Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock wants to fucking see her like she wants to see a fucking toe blister. She's on top of her game right now. The best actress. What? Uh, Chris Jersey, you're on Fez. Hey, buddy. Yeah. I think a big part of the problem is probably starting with Miramax late 90s, studios really started programming films to win Oscars. And they don't necessarily connect with, uh, you know, your, your flyover people, American audience. Um, and so, for that reason, it's like they don't really care about the Oscars so much. It, uh, well, first of all, a lot of people do care about the Oscars. A lot of people watch the show. But give me a movie that should have been there in the top ten that wasn't. <laughs> well, top ten, I mean, you know, you, you may have me there. This was a particularly weak year for films, I think. And, you know, I think the, the fact that they've gone to the top ten is a concession to kind of, you know, reach out to people a little more, throw the Inception people a bone, or, you know, throw maybe a few more marginal films Well, a bone. The, the Inception people win for the things that they do well. They yeah. won for a lot of sound. They won for a lot of visuals. And that's what they do well. But it wasn't uh, good storytelling. Uh, the Oscars are always going to be about, like, human storytelling, and always have been. 
I would agree, but you don't think a film like King's Speech is kind of, you know, presented, set, and designed to go out and win an Oscar? I mean, it, it's a very showy Oscar film, you know, it's kind of all the hallmarks of, you know, you know... You I, have I, a protagonist who but, goes but, through but a trial, you have a physical deformity, I mean, throw in the British angle, and it's like it's really programmed to go out and win a fucking Oscar. I didn't really like Social Network, but I thought that was at least, you know, a film that kind of connected with American audiences. Well, and, but both you know, of them, both of these films did very, very well. And I guarantee you, in, in terms of the profit that they're going to make in, internationally, are going to be a lot better than some of the fucking really big films that you're talking about that it, it costs a lot more money to do. But that's almost like saying a, you know, a romantic comedy really tug at our heartstrings. I mean, movies like that are supposed to move you emotionally. I didn't think that the King's Speech was all that different than, let's say, Rudy or Rocky. And yet those, you know, those films, there's always rooms for those type of things. I don't think, um, you know, I don't think it was an overly great film, but it was surely better than um, most of the other stuff that was out there. Um, Mark, Mark, you're on a fez. What do you think about James Franco as an actor? I see him in Hal, and he starts to impress me a little bit, and then he seems like a fucking douchebag when I see him in Spider-Man or on, I don't know, on General Hospital. I want to punch him in his ear when I see that. It's, I'm very, very torn. What do you think? Um, I, I think he's a good actor. I mean, he's a, a guy who's doing a lot of different things. I didn't see any of the General Hospital stuff, or, uh, I think yeah, I... You're lying. What's that? I'm lying? Yeah. You're lying about the General Hospital thing. I haven't seen it. I mean, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It comes yeah. on. I haven't seen General Hospital since Luke and Laura. And I, I you know, I, I'll i tell you what I did see him do was that fucking dope smoking movie. Uh, Pineapple Express. What was it called? Pineapple Express. Pineapple Express. And I thought he was very good in that. And that was a comedy. I saw him in Freaks and Geeks, and I thought he was good. In 127 hours. So, no, I don't hate the guy. I thought he never should have been hosting no, last night. No, th that was insane. He was so fucking awkward. And just one, just, he wasn't talking. It was bizarre. Like like you said, Anne Hathaway was just carrying the whole fucking thing, which was She was really busting weird. her ass. She was busting her ass <laughs> to make that shitty show work. And she did that weird one-person song number where she did the Wolverine thing. I know. And it really did. It was so awkward that... It was, like, oddly great. Like, look at Anne Hathaway going through this. I'll tell you this. She did better than anyone you know that would have been cast into the yeah. same fucking place. I don't know how her spirit didn't break. I really fucking was hoping at a certain <laughs> point that she would go, all right, I don't know what I'm fucking doing up here. I never should have done it. Stuck I try really hard to call. do everything. I try really hard to do a good job and be professional. Um... Josh, you're on Run of Fez. Hey, Ron. Yeah. I, I got a uh, a film that may could have jumped into the top ten would be uh, Get Low with, you know, the crazy Bill Murray and everybody's favorite uh, Robert Duvall. All right, but to go back to what the other guy said, that was the type of film that was aimed at kind of an Oscar thing. That was aimed at critics, and for and whatever reason, they didn't pick it up. I liked it, too. It was a little early. I think it... it if it was a little later, it could have gone for a good run, but it was released way too early. It was uh, picked up by the Independent Spirit yeah. Awards, although it didn't win any, but it got at least some nominations there. But I was a big uh, 
fan of that too. They got best first feature at uh, Independent Spirit Awards. Oh, it did. Yeah, Aaron Schneider. Got All it. right, nice. Uh, a, a guy who came in and did our show. Oh yeah. Um, here is uh, Sean. Sean, you're on Fez. Hey, Ron. I thought the opener got my attention, and then after uh, got through it, I thought, hell, they're shitting on these shows that are supposed to be nominated. And I thought that was quite ironic. Uh, no, they do that every year, yeah. and it started with the MTV Awards fucking 20 years ago. <laughs> and then Billy Crystal did it. That's yeah. the problem with that. It's like, we've seen that so many fucking it's, times. It's the same fucking thing. For every single award. Emmys, everything. Right. Yeah, it doesn't matter what it is. They're like, what am I doing in this movie? <laughs> Let's just put people in the things that they're not supposed to be. Uh, Chris, you're on Chris. Hey, what's up? Yeah. Uh, John Franco looked like he was stoned the whole award John show. <laughs> like, what about Franco eyes? Harris? How did he look? What was that? No, thank you, Smith. Um, a lot of people think he's stoned because he has those heavy lids. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think that he uh, gets high. He's constantly in class. Guy's a hell of a schedule. What is that about anyway? I don't know. He's like in three different schools at the same time. Like a For master's triple program. Yeah. It's stupid. Yeah. That's not fucking smart. That's actually dumb. <laughs> like, what are you getting out of this now? Just how many you can get? Yeah. And the, during the pre-interview or whatever, he's like, yeah, I, I only was coming here on the weekends because I had class the rest of the week. I don't even get it. Yeah, Luke, you're in Fez. Hey, what's up, buddies? Yeah. Uh, what do you think of Billy Crystal getting a standing ovation for doing nothing but walking on stage? Well, they were applauding him for the work that he did in the rabbit test many, many years ago. The Joan Rivers threat, and nobody got that choked. I, I, I was too obscure. Um, <laughs> they were basically saying, please help us. It's almost like, I, I had the feeling when Billy Crystal, like, when you're a kid and you get arrested, right? And you're down at the fucking cop house. The first thing you're thinking to yourself is, don't tell my parents. I don't want my parents to find out about this. But then around 8 o'clock the next morning, when your dad actually does come in, you're like really glad to see him. You're like, dude, you were right. I was wrong. That's how we all felt when Billy Crystal came out. You're like, come out, do some fucking corny jokes. Do whatever you want right now. Take John Franco. What about Annie DeFranco last night? Didn't she look high? Um, Sounded great. Ed, you're on Ronnie Fez. Hey, Ronnie B. I thought Bob Hope killed last night. Or was it Bill Hope? Can't remember. Uh, Bob Hope's joke. It's the time for Oscar night, or as we call it in my house, Passover. Um, <laughs> hello? It's weird. <laughs> that was fucking really just putting up the fucking... Well, I'm Spectre. Sh- I'm sure that those that all look cool if you were in the building. Okay, you know, with all the weirdness behind and all like the 3D dimension yeah. of it. But for the rest of us, I'm not sure if it was all that fucking happening. Why? Why are they doing this? Did we ever find out what G Baby's party themes foods were? No text. Mm. <laughs> Here's uh, Orman. You're in manifest. Hey, what's going on, Ryan? Yeah. Uh, the caller a while a while ago kind of was hitting on what I wanted to talk about. I think that uh, part of the reason why you get the attitude that you do for most people about the Oscars is the movies that people are going to see aren't the ones that are nominated. You know, you, like you you said a thousand times, you know, Americans just put up with shit for entertainment. You know, you don't see Transformers nominated, so you know 
typical mid-American, what the hell am I going to care about this award? Well, you, you, know? you know, but you say that, and then the People's Choice Awards salute them. But in terms of ratings, the Oscars do way better yeah. than the People's oh, yeah. Choice Awards. So everybody, you know, it, they're bullshitting when they say uh, what we'd really rather see is these fucking popular movies win. Because they don't go watching that. Nobody, you never hear about I'm a People's Choice winner. No one respects the people. <laughs> no, that never will show up like an obituary. He was a three time People of Choice winner. And actually, they never even say a Golden Globe winner. No, they don't give a shit about the Golden Globes. Oh. That's just a train wreck on TV to see if someone gets fucked I up. I guess you say Emmy, you say Grammy, and you say Tony, and you say Oscar. Yeah. Out of the entertainment awards, those are the big ones. And even Emmys aren't that impressive anymore. Um, yeah, but you like to have one. Yeah, sure, okay. They're not as big. They're not as prestigious, certainly, as an Oscar. Particularly since you have daytime Emmys. Yeah. And then this even gets worse. I don't know whether you guys even know this. There's local Emmys. Oh, yeah. So okay. your local weatherman has won an Emmy before. How many of these fucking statues are they the making? Same. Really? Yes. It's the same, not even a little smaller? Well, when we were on 57th Street, the Emmy headquarters used to be there. They were like, did you ever go up? It was like three before us. No. Three on top. And it, you used to go into their lobbies, and there would be Emmys everywhere. And I'm like, I'm going to fucking snatch an Emmy in here one Let's of these days. Let's grab a couple for ourselves. Um, Andrew, you're on a Fez. Hey, Mr. B. Uh, yeah. Mila Kunis looked hot last night, but when I see her, all I can think about is she was living with Home Alone for like seven years. And she's got to have like a screw loops, you know? I don't know. Maybe he's a good dude. I don't know anything yeah. about him. Don't shit on Macaulay. Nah, he's a strange character, man. Why? That's how he bagged her up. Uh, remember a couple of years ago, those pictures came out, and he's all made up like a girl and everything? I think it was a movie he was in. <laughs> was it? Yeah. I thought it was real life. He was in that Party Kids <laughs> movie or whatever it was, Party Animal or some shit. Yeah. It was a very strange little movie. Now, I don't really know a lot about him, but someone even said he was the one that broke it off. Wow, that's crazy. Huh. Well, well, he had it for a while. And then also, he's got the prestige now of, like, who's ever the next hot girl could go, yeah, you know what, Mila is, is with him, and she's even prettier than me, so, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump on. Well, I'm lucky to be fucking him. Yeah. It's like that fucking weirdo that uh, Demi Moore married can probably get a hot chick for himself right now. <laughs> Arquette, by the oh. way, he was on the Oprah show the other day, just fucking crying balls oh, on TV. On. He was so strong when it first went down. Now, yeah. it's, now it's all coming crashing in. <laughs> That's how Charlie Sheen's getting, too. <laughs> like he was so much fun when it first started. I think the princesses will stick by him, though. They're goddesses. They're not princesses. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, G-Baby is going to give us an update. How are you, G-Baby? Uh, I'm okay, Ronnie. How are you? Well, first of all, Steeler Girl was right, and you were right to retweet her and ring your own bell. Nothing happened last night. Nothing. We oh, yeah. knew every award. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I told people, like, I can't believe David Fincher didn't win. I'm like, well, I kind of thought he might win, but everybody in the last week said Tom Hooper was going to win. Yeah, and then I've been listening, and everybody's right. The frame Franco was terrible and just, like, not just totally non-present. I think I laughed, like, twice. I thought the intro was kind of funny, but they've done it a million times. And the auto-tune thing was kind of funny, but that came out of left field. It didn't fit. Um, nobody just, nobody in the building was laughing. Yeah, they were that, just staring at it like, uh, I can't believe you put this shit on. Right, right, exactly. But if the whole show was a little bit more like that, you know, this is never going to happen. It's, just, it's, a, it's an older version show, King's Speech 1. 
whatever. I'm, I'm done with it. But you, uh, you have yeah, your own young shows that you like, the MTV Popcorn Awards. Yeah, Best Kiss, and you know you have those awards. What? Why do people get mad? You know, like I don't get mad at the MTV Movie Awards. <laughs> this is too young. What the yeah. fuck? Like, why didn't anybody ever say, you know, James Cagney was never even was in that montage? Why are these kids congratulating themselves for? <laughs> Shit. I think, I think you get mad because the only one that, the only one that matters is the, the Academy Awards. The Golden Globes a little bit. But uh, it but matters because they take it seriously and they don't give right. out Best Kiss Awards. <laughs> yeah. Coolest explosion. Not, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that I wish they did have. I'd still give it a Determinator 2 after all these years. Really? Wow. Yeah. After all these years, I'd still hold it. Uh, you, Ron, you want to know about the, uh, the, the uh, best picture theme foods? Of the yeah, I want to go over what uh, your host had. All right, sure. Um, well, for appetizers, we had um, a cucumber sandwiches for King's Speech. Uh, we had four-layer dip for Inception. Uh, and then we had assorted uh, pieces of sushi for the social network. Because there was a little sushi in there. Yes. All right, seven uh, the, more to go. Those are the appetizers. The main courses were uh, roasted potatoes for the fighter. So that's sort of what they eat in Lowell, I guess. Oh, no, this is getting that's bad. That's cheap. They don't eat that in Lowell. They eat that in Ireland. <laughs> They're Irish, Lowell, get it? I don't know, whatever. And then um, we had uh, shish kebabs for 127 hours, sort of, you know, ripped meat. Oh, okay, kind of. All right, let's keep going. All right, uh, we had a big green salad for the kids all right, because that's sort of what they eat in the movie. Uh, obviously, grits for true grit. Right. Uh, a big plate of beans for the winter's bone. That's the one that I don't like the most, just because that's sort of what they eat in the woods. That's a, They're all a stretch, but that one's the worst. And then uh, Toy Story-shaped macaroni and cheese. Um, and finally, to do it off with a big birthday cake for uh, Black Swan, just like she gets in the movie. See, I still think that maybe you could have had a winner's cone, where it was an ice cream cone. <laughs> <laughs> I feel... I, just, I don't want grits at my party under any real circumstances. Yeah, yeah, it's not a party food. It's a big fucking bucket of grits. Um, it, was, it was okay on the side. Kind of, kind of, kind of tasty. All right. Uh, G baby, what's the next big thing for you? Um, I guess the next big thing, not for me, but because uh, I'm not going. But it's South by Southwest is in a couple weeks. Yeah, Hicks is um, going to be there. Yeah, that, that, uh, my site is only bringing one person, so I can't go. But uh, that's going to be big. And then after that, Comic Con in July. That's where you, that's where it's at. And what's the first big summer movie to come out? Where are we looking? The first big movie summer is is Thor on May sixth, but really, if you look at the schedule, summer sort of starts this Friday. Like starting this Friday, there are big movies that come out every week, right, reading up until the summer. Uh, what's this so, Friday? Um, the Adjustment Bureau uh, and Rango are the two big ones, and then I think there's like the two other movies that aren't as big. Adjustment you know, Bureau are, is the one you're excited about, Hicks. Yeah, I want to see that. Yeah, that definitely the, looks good. The Phil K. Dick based mm, stuff. Okay. Yeah, and then after that, you know, next week is Battle of L.A., after that is Paul, and then, you know, we get to, like, the Fifth Act and the Furious, and, you know, so the next, so pretty much summer sort of starts this Friday. Well, G-Baby, I want you to call your host from the party and say I was impressed with the four-layer dip. I thought that was witty. Okay. Everything else, I think he could have worked on. <laughs> All right, Ron, I will let him know. Talk to you later. Peace. Later. He just sounds like... Um, 
He's done with it all. Yeah, he, he's fucking shot his load, and he's ready to go to sleep. Uh, Rand, you're on Fez. Hello? Yeah. Yeah. What in the world was James Franco staring at on his iPhone? He was trying to uh, get his Twitter stuff out during the show. Really? He yeah. was trying to Twitter? He was Twittering and was shooting video and live-tweeting them as the night went on. And you could have went there and saw his kind of point of view. Oh. I don't know why ABC let him get away with it, though. If yeah. ABC gone, uh, we have cameras. If we want that fucking shot, we'll do it. Yeah, we don't need your fucking iPhone. I know this is hip and the kids are on the internet, but still. JP, you're on running Fez. Hey, what's up? I think uh, G-Baby would have been more successful if he said, Kids, I'm going to Your phone okay. eats balls. Talk about, about real quick was, uh, as far as the shared experience, that it, I think it's more important that we all get out and see these movies that are nominated for Oscars versus watching whether or not they get the awards. If they do... Uh, you know, you can always find out about that tomorrow, and you have something to discuss. I'm, sorry, I'm to... sorry. It sounds like you've called me, and you're talking into a carp. It's fucking impossible to hear people on their phones now. I thought I heard a fucking fishtail going back and forth. <laughs> but it has a lot of apps, though, so that's a plus. Uh, I might just set up a, just a landline-only fucking show. That's my dream, that you'll be able to hear callers. Was that a fish or a phone that he was using there? I, I It sounded like there was a hook in the mouthpiece. It was awful. Squirming. And I'm sure he had a lot of good things to say. Uh, Greg, Greg, you're on the Run Fest show. Hey, buddies. How's it going? Good, buddy. Uh, yeah, I work in uh, Hollywood. I work on movies. I'm actually uh, an assistant director. And, I mean, I deal with, I know a lot of people who are in the Academy, and it's just, it's gotten to the point where I can't even watch them anymore because I just know they're watching with their smug little faces, knowing that, oh yeah, he's my he's my good buddy. You know, I got him in. It's it's kind of bullshit now. You hate years. everybody, right? I don't hate everybody, but there's a few people I know that you know they're just too smug about it. And I mean, it's really the fakeness of Hollywood, and that you know that's kind of cliche, but it's. It's just gotten to the point where I, you know, I, I have to deal with them every day. All right, Greg, what's and, the biggest uh, film you've worked on so we know who we're talking to? It. I worked on Transformers 3, finished uh, about a month ago. So no no wonder you would hate the Oscars. You do those kind of films. <laughs> uh, well, that was the most recent one. And it now, well and so so, you, so you're working as an assistant to, uh, to Bay, right? Michael Bay. Uh, that was the first time I worked for him, yeah. Is he uh, a tough guy? Ronnie, he's... It, everything you've heard about him is pretty much true. Is that um, right? He, he spends the whole day yelling. Um, I I had to deal with him you know, privately a lot, and he, he was calm then, but there's always a twitch in his, in his temple that was just... You can, you can just tell it was just burning in him. Now, does he need to go off like that, or is he just crazy? I think he's just, he's pretty much crazy. There's, I've worked with a lot of different directors. There's a few that, that are angry, but he's 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 a real tough guy to work with. I, there's a few days where I almost had to just walk up set and, you know, take it where it was. But he keeps working because he's really, because uh, it's popping. Yeah, I mean, as much as he's, you know, a hard guy to work with, and, you know, it, it's, it's really, it's like, 
dealing with an abusive father every day, just yelling at you and beating you down, but he produces results, I guess. I mean, like any good father, really... it doesn't matter at the end because you're going to end up winning the big game. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily like his movies all that much, but uh, they they sell, uh, they they sell, and people, you know. Now, do you hope to go on and direct films yourself, Greg? Mm, probably not. Uh, too much stress, you know. I've seen a lot of a lot of directors have little mini breakdowns. I mean, my my job's stressful enough, but tell us I mean, one money... tell us one director you saw have a breakdown. One director. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's this director, uh, Jill Sprecher. I don't. You probably never heard of her. She's she has a lot of indie films, but. She she had we had to stop production for two weeks because she she just lost it. She I think she she went like four days without sleeping. And I've heard about that happening to people before because it is crazy stressful to make a film, right? Sure, there's no uh, sleep. It's terrible. Like I mean, even me. I mean, I you know I'm as much as them, but I you know I probably work nineteen hour days when I'm when I'm actually working and. That's not including travel, so I probably get two or three hours of sleep a night. But the thing about you that works for you is you don't care whether it's good or bad. You don't care about the film, so that, that's helpful. Well, sometimes I care about the films. I mean, but if it's if it's something like Transformers Three, where you know the the budget's two hundred million, and I get a big chunk of that, a decent chunk of that, then you know I don't really care what it's about as long as I can pay my mortgage. <laughs> See, you believe but, that, Hicks? Then wouldn't you love to be an assistant director and be on the it. set? That'd be sick. Now, do you think that you would put yourself into it and really try to make a good film? Or yeah, I think I think money? I would. Whatever part I'm, you know, responsible for, I try to make it as fucking cool as possible. Well, as good. Why can't there, you do there that? Are, there are some times where you know, there's there's been plenty of films I've I've loved, and you know, it's, something when you when you get to a point, which I'm I don't think I'm at, but when you get to a point, you get to pick and choose what you get to work on and. You know, I want to get to that point. What where, film are you uh, most proud for working on, Greg? What was that? What film are you most proud of that you worked on? Um, most... Oh, man, I don't know. Uh, I've worked on a lot of indie films that mm. I really like, um, but the one that I'm probably most proud of that got the most was I, I did... I, I wasn't assistant directing. I did a, a lot of just helping out the production because so I had a buddy who was assistant director, but Inception I worked on. And even though, you know, that's... I, I just really liked the story. Like when I read the script, I loved it, and I think it, it turned out well on on the on the screen. So, all right, buddy. Well, that's cool. Bye. Thanks, thanks for uh, peeling that back. He won't even watch the Oscars. I guess he's just too into it. That yeah, was... I, I can't imagine that I would listen to the radio awards. <laughs> the top forty station goes out to. Oh, you're robbed. The radio awards would be fucking embarrassing, wouldn't they? Bear televising. Best news on the ones. Why? Why would they televise? It should only be done on the radio. That's already like if they televise it is like saying, by the way, we television is better than radio. Multicast. The only thing going for us is that you can't fucking drive and watch TV without hitting something. Other than that, <laughs> you got trying. shit. But you know, this is better too if you're on the computer. A fucking TV when you're on the computer is a pain in the ass. Well, 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 it's been so long. The blah hard. Hello, Ronnie. Hey, Pepper. Hi, Blowhard. By the way, Ronnie, I really got your uh, rabbit test reference. I was laughing out loud. It was I, figured it w- I figured it would have been you too, Blowhard. I think it should have been a line of the day, but mm. I guess that was 1976 or so. 
Listen, first of all, these people who Twitter during these award shows and have the attention span of a bunch of gnats, why are these so-called social networks, all these anti-social people? Can you just sit down and watch a show without wondering what other people are saying? Interact with people and just watch the show and stop picking your fingers at a stupid phone constantly or on a laptop. I don't get it. And by the way, I'm on a landline right now. so Thank you. I appreciate I it. I did that. And now, now my question is this. Do you think that the Oscars are losing prestige compared to the classic films that we look back on? For example, you look at these ten films that were nominated, and they got a fucking cartoon in there. It just seems like a joke that a Toy Story would get nominated. And you look at last year's winner, The, the Hurt Locker, nice film, but it's not on the caliber of a Lawrence of Arabia, The Godfather. You know, it, it just seems that the quality is is just going down, and it just seems less prestigious. The actors, the quality doesn't seem to be there. You know, it just well, you're, seems- you're not going to get, a, you know, I mean, Lawrence Arabia and a Godfather, you had to make a leap of like 10 years there. And so every, you know, for every year there's an Oscar year, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's going to be also a top 10 of what you would pick in that decade. You know, and I thought the great speech of all last night was Spielberg when he brought up the list of great films great. that were nominated and didn't win the Oscar. That maybe it took a little longer for people to realize was good. I mean, if you put up a thing now of Gump versus Pulp Fiction, oh, I can't imagine anyone would pick Gump. <laughs> but at the time, it was pretty beloved. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like a formula they have in Hollywood. You know, they it's just these movies they pop out. They're just formula. You know, they just they know to put some emotion. They know, and and nowadays a lot of these films are two and a half hours long, and they just. I don't usually complain when a movie's too long, but some of these films could use some editing. And I've seen most of these pictures that were nominated. That's why they year. have an editing award too every year. Yeah, they should, and it should be up in front and center, but. I watched The King's Speech, and I thought it was a nice film, mm-hmm. but to me it might have been a great masterpiece theater. Uh, 127 Hours, I thought, that could have been a made-for-TV movie. I didn't. Well, think- I will give the kid this. I thought I was going to despise that movie, and I'm like, I'm I can't sit there it, and watch I don't a guy think you can cut off your arm with a, bu- with, with a pocket thing. knife. Um, I'm still not buying that movie, you know. And, and the what don't you is, buy? It actually happened. No, I know, but I still just—I I just watched it, and I just thought that with that little, sure, his arm was slowly dying and rotting away, and and he had 127 little, hours to slice at it and pulverize yeah. it. Oh. I know, but again, is it worthy of a Oscar nomination? I—I I just don't see it. I, you know, I would take Ernest Borgnine and Marty before I took any of these films. Well, I, that's that won an Oscar. Ernest I know Bernard because I mean, it's Marty a, was a great fucking a script, great movie. But I don't think that there's these great movies are so far. You know, you don't see them anymore. You don't even see the epics anymore. I guess what was the last big epic to win an Oscar was Braveheart, I would guess. But you don't see the studios. They just put out like the kids are all right. Are you giving? Give me a break. I mean, the political overtones. We know why it gets nominated. And by the way, talking about the Golden Globes, they're bought and paid for. It's the biggest sham of an award. Yeah, we're not talking about them. We're talking about the Oscars. People talk about prestige and you know. But let's go back to let's say the golden era of film. Right? You also didn't have that. A lot of people who would went into film like now also go into TV. Or even the internet. So you're not necessarily getting 
the same kind of pull. It's like if you sit back and complain again about, you know, baseball used to be better. Well, the other sports weren't as big, or boxing was better. The other sports weren't as big. Um, but I don't know. I mean, at, at the time that they had the golden fucking age of that, they still didn't have a Scorsese. They didn't have a Wes Anderson. No. They didn't have a, a P.T. Anderson. These guys, there's, there are some great films. I say, you know, very good films, but to find a great film seems harder and harder. And when you have to add the nominee list to expand it, and you throw like a Toy Story. But, I mean, I like films for adults. But, but they do that just for the TV show. They're not doing it for any other reason. But there are people who are buying it as a serious film. And, you know, to me, I just think Oscars and the old model where... But at the same time... Quality you, and... But when, at the same time, when you're talking about in that other age, you still had silly films at the same time. You did, but they made didn't get nominated money. as much as... Like, look at The Hurt Locker. Was that really an Oscar-worthy film? I don't think so. But you look on, you know, like On the Waterfront, uh, The Apartment. Do you look back at any film? I mentioned Mark. I think On the Waterfront was one of the ones that didn't fucking win. And I don't know whether The Apartment I, won or not. I, uh, I think it, it did, but the bottom line is they were quality films. And nowadays it just seems that we accept mediocrity as opposed to quality. Here's Chris. You're on Fez. How you doing, Ronnie? Yeah. Uh, Blowhard? Hey, man. Shut the fuck up. Oh, thank just you. Shut up. You waited on hold to say that, you fucking pinhead. Just shut up. Yes, I did. Go watch Toy Story and play with your little toys, you little kid toucher. Toy Story, you fucking Yeah, you're a moron. Where are you calling from, you jerk? You fucking jackass. I'm from Montreal, a real city. Hey, go back to your blow-up doll now. Hang up the phone. I'll fuck your mother right in the ass. Yeah, you probably would, you queer. Your mother's yep. got a penis. What? Yeah, I don't care. I, I don't. I, look, you're in a bad mood today, blowhard. I, I, I'm in a bad mood because first of all, we lost the uh, the Duke of Flatbush, which is very depressing. Well, you lost him in 1958. Well, doesn't matter. He's still the Duke, and he's still beloved here in Brooklyn. We missed the Duke. Rest in peace, Duke Snyder. But I heard it was his idea to move to L.A. <laughs> you know something? It doesn't matter. Everybody hates the O'Malley's here. But Duke Snyder will still be the Duke, and people still love the Duke. And he is one of the greatest players to ever play the game, without a doubt. And these pinheads are going to call up, and they're going to waste their time, and they're going to dial and wait on hold to say something stupid. Instead of being a little, uh, little creative, or at least having something to say, they're just going to curse me out. So who's a sucker? Who's the jerk? You're the jerk. You waste time calling and yelling at me. Call up and give me a point. Make some sense. These people are too stupid to have jobs. They're calling me up, just yelling at me. Just say something critical. Be, you know, have half a brain. You feel like you didn't get a fair shot from that guy. Nah, and come on, man. I recognized uh, the genius of your rabbit test line today. I think mm. I'm becoming the caller of the day here. All right, let's go over this, though, Blard. You don't think No Country for Old Men was a classic film? Oh, no. I would say that's a very good film. Lost in Translation. Uh, very good. So these would not be where you're putting the other one. Well, I'm e a Bill Murray fan, so I'm kind of biased. I mean, I love Lost in Translation. But uh, e Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Again, I thought it was a little overrated. Any of the Lord of the Rings stuff? Oh, uh, no. Um, Lord of the Rings, to me, is just, you know, just special effects and, you know, just animation and fantasy and just something that I really don't see as... I thought know, it may, might be part of that spectacle that you were talking about that you like so much. Yeah, but a lot of it's not even real. A lot of it's just CGI and, you know, like, okay, The Wizard of Oz, possibly, because The Wizard of Oz had, you know, 
it was all basically handmade. It was hand-painted. They actually used real midgets, and it was just well, a fun romp. But, you know, here, but here's, but here's the other thing. Gone with the wind. There's you're an epic. You're still fucking singing that song after 80 fucking years or whatever it is. That song showed up to close the Oscars yeah. last time. And not, there's not a little kid in America that doesn't know that song. That's pretty unbelievable. It just goes to show the quality of the movie and how, you know, if you make a, a movie that's timeless, it can go on forever. Same yeah. with Gone with the Wind and but, same with uh, Dr. Zhivago and uh, Lawrence of Arabia. All right, but now you're making a leap now of about 30 years or 25 years. Well, we're talking what, Oscar here. so we're just uh, Here's around. Lewis, Sherman Fez. Hey, what's up, guys? Um, I just want to ask Blowhard, how old are you, man? He graduated in 1939. 1939. Yeah, because you, you, you talk about all this stuff like you were there, like you were actually watching the very first Oscars. I think you're full of shit, man. Okay, well, there I is a thing, Blowhard, that you get into this where you do look backwards. It's called film history. That's the problem. Whenever a lot of people on this show, I remember you guys would talk about grown-up movies for grown-ups, and it's turning into like, hey, Ron, you're... You want to go see the new Iron Man movie? I, hey, Ron. I mean, it's like, a, it's like a bunch of fucking 13-year-olds. I can't hunt. Yeah, but uh, all right, best uh, animation feature, I don't even give a shit about, but having it in the best picture category is a joke. That's all I say. Uh, let's take it over here. Hi, you're on with Blowhard. <laughs> we don't have you. Now here's Justin in L.A. You're on Fez. Hey, how you doing? Blowhard, how can you not give any kind of credence to the effort that went into making a trilogy like The Lord of the Rings? It's not my biggest thing, but, you know, that, that, they were there for years doing that kind of thing. The reason that those movies sometimes get nominated, the story's great, but also the effort that goes in, the filmmaking. This is not just about... Well, if that's the case, then, talking effort, let's give Star Wars, uh, the trilogy, um, some Oscars. Let's give them Best Picture and... Let's, let's it was nominated. I don't think I don't think effort has anything to do with it. It was nominated. You Star know? Wars was nominated for yeah. best picture. Jaws I would never was say nominated. that it was a best. I would never say that Star Wars was ever going to be a best exactly. picture. True. Um, <laughs> but it was nominated in that, at the time. Uh, some people felt oh, like well, we're at the end of a film here. Here's Mike. Your manifest. And I kind of agree with that. Huh? Hey, Ronnie. How's it going, man? Yeah. So I mean, I, I I'm going to say you know. You got some clout about what you're saying here, but a movie like The Wizard of Oz, when it first came out, it was not very well received. Well, that's true. A lot of classic films are never well received. It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Christmas staple. Exactly. The and, critics and I, killed and it. I agree with you, and I and I really do agree with you. But you have to look at some of these movies also and say, like, maybe some of these movies today and. 10 or 12 years are going to be as well received as something like And Wizard I say, at 10 years from now, you look back at this year's nominees, and you're not going to say, wow, what a great film. I want to see that again. I don't know. You may look at a social network and say, look, there they were. They grabbed it at the time, and it's always... It'll be nostalgic. That's about it. I don't think... I think it was a well-made film. I think there's made. something different about being nostalgic and being able to capture what was going on in the time that it was going on. Because there are some movies that are just uh, timeless. A movie like Singing in the Rain. A movie like uh, The Killer Mockingbird. Okay, um, again, you are leaping across decades. But we're talking Oscar. I get it. We're talking Oscar. I, and I, I get that completely. And what about, right. okay, let's talk about Patton. Let's talk about The Godfather. Patton. Quality films. Uh, but, well acted, well written. Alright, so you're saying Million Dollar Baby is a fucking disappointment to you. No, Gladiator's like a disappointment. Baby. I would say Million Dollar Baby kind of qualifies as... But, uh, you, but you can't go back and say that every year's Oscar was a great film. We're going to agree with that, right? 
No, you, you, I don't think that, I, I just think there's a watering down effect. And I also think that you have the major studio films, and then you have the independents, when back in the day it was the major studios pretty much only dominating the category. Uh, and you studio. think that those were the best films? They were no, better than the films of the 70s? System, but I think, well, in the 70s you had some real, come on. The but that was independent. That was away from the studio system. I don't think The Godfather was an independent film. Um, he was work. The studio system had had collapsed so much that the young people had taken it over. Uh, Danny, you're my Godfather. I know. I know. Godfather was paramount, right? So yes, it was. But it wasn't the old studio system. The old studio system meant you not only owned the book, but you owned all the actors, you owned the directors, and it was like factory work. Oh yeah, and they would sign guys for like five, five or six movies at a time. I, and a lot of people want to talk to you. Here's Dana and Richmond. Hey, uh, Grandpa, you're embarrassing yourself. It's, it's well, really... it won't be the first time, and it won't be the last time. And uh... Oh, I pray it's the last time, because listening to you go on like a geriatric patient is killing me. It well, really gee, is. do you go to the nursing home and kick old people? No, I don't need to. Well, then you have mental problems. Uh, here's Chris What are you, what are you on, the rag? Here's Chris and Philly. You're on a fez. I got two questions for the blowhard. One, blowhard... I can't imagine you're old enough to have been watching Duke Snyder when he played for the Dodgers. Unless we bust on your age. Did you actually see Duke Snyder play with the Dodgers that you can remember? Them? I happen to know Duke Snyder. That's why. I met oh, Duke okay. Snyder. I know Duke Snyder personally, so there. And you, sir, know Duke Snyder. I knew him. I knew. I know the Duke. Um, the Duke The Duke was a friend of mine. Shane, you're on a fez. Yeah, I just uh, was going to ask Blowhard what he felt about on the animation movies. The actors' faces are replaced, obviously, by animation, but their voices and their acting abilities are still in those movies. So why would they not be recognized for that? Because I think a lot of times it's it's just it's just one dimensional. If you're just doing a voice, and the animation, the cartoon, the figure itself is doing all the the, the facial expressions, the the movements, the acting, you know. The market for animated films for children, but as a serious film for grown-ups... You, you don't think that those Disney films now are classics, the Cinderella's, the... Oh, without question. I grew up on those films. I well, some, them. there's I other people the that are growing up on these Toy Stories. Yeah, Pixar will be all classics. But, but I still would generation. never, ever say it's Oscar-worthy. That, that's just my opinion. Right. It didn't win an Oscar. It won an Oscar for Best Cartoon. Here's Larry. You're on Fez. Hi. Hi, buddies. Um... And Mr. B and Ronnie Fe and and uh, and Fezzi, I'm sorry for your loss. Truly sorry. Deepest sympathies. I I would just like to ask Blowhard what he thinks a um, a, a a classic truly is. Because to me, a classic is a groundbreaking movie with a great story, and it, it doesn't have to necessarily hold up the test of time. It could be a period piece in a period that people aren't familiar with. But that to me is a classic. Right, I'll, I'll let uh, Blowhard say what's a classic. You want to know a film that I can... Now, what, how would you define a classic? A classic to me is something that's well-written, uh, well-acted, well-produced, edited, a movie that basically keeps your interest, a movie that you might uh, learn something from, or a movie that you, you are entertained, a movie that is unforgettable, a movie that stays with you, a movie that is quality 100%. Well, a, a lot of movies have stayed with 
with me that aren't all that good. There oh, without a doubt. Hey, listen, I fucking... appreciate the B-movie more than the next guy. I yeah. mean, but, you know, believe me, I'm a big fan of John Waters and Roger Corman and all those guys. How about I, I Roger Waters and John Corman? Them, too. But okay. it just comes down to, I just don't look at some of the films today and think that they measure up to um, what we had. You Yesterday know, was in better. The, in the golden days. Um, has there been a movie on the level of a raging bull in modern history? I can't think of one. Again, in the fucking uh, in the eighties, that film wasn't appreciated. It wasn't. And after he did that film, his career was pretty much dead for the next ten years. It took Goodfellas to finally where he could get the kind of budget that he wanted to do again. Well, I still I still have the point that I think that we're settling for quality. And he still he made Shuttle Island, uh, Shuttle Island this year. Did you like that? Shutter Island. I yeah. thought it was awful. Mm. Same I guy made it, it out early too. So same guy made it. So yeah. I mean, well, hey, look, a guy's not going to make. I, I didn't think The Departed was a great film. I thought it was a good film, but it was it disappointed me compared to a Goodfellas or a Mean Streets or any other uh, Scorsese film. I mean, I'm a big fan of Martin Scorsese, but I just thought that The Departed was sort of like a step, a notch below his usual stuff. I just I wasn't impressed with it as much. Uh, here's Glenn. Glenn, you're on a fez. Hey, hey, buddies. Um, it, Blowhard, in 2007, um, there was no country for old men. There will be blood. Uh, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Uh, those three alone would have won any, uh, like, would have won hands down this year. And then you had 310 to Yuma wasn't bad. Um, American Gangster was pretty good. They, they still make quality films. No, no. I, I agree with you on a few of those films, but American Gangster, I, I think, really lacked a lot. Uh, well, go to the first three that he said. I mean, those were three great films. Right, but we're talking a numbers game here. If you spread it out over the time period, you're not going to have... You're not going to have a, a, a group, a large group of quality films. You're going to have... Look, i got to say that There Will Be Blood was splendidly acted. That movie was like... An, that was like a class in... And the other ones you mentioned, too. Um, I can't argue with that. But it just seems that when you have certain nominees, certain films, they just settle for... Like, i, I got to be honest. I wasn't a big fan of Inception. I'm a sci-fi fan. I thought it bored me to tears. What's good and, sci-fi to you? Hmm? Uh, what's good sci-fi to you? I think The Matrix was one of the best films of our modern time. Um, I can even go back to another time when I liked Fantastic Voyage, which I thought was Fantastic a novel idea. Voyage? With Raquel Welsh? Yeah, and I'm going, yeah, Donald Pleasance. I'm going back to your rabbit test. I'll even go further back. But science fiction, you know, uh, the original War of the Worlds. All right, let's move over here to uh, Dave. Dave, you're on Dave, we lost you. Uh, it's the Daily Leader. Yeah, I love Blowhard, but when did he go Hollywood on us, talking about the Oscars? Last night we had Knicks versus Heat. And Blowhard's supposed to be Mr. New York, and all he's talking about is... I thought film. you would have been a Knickerbocker guy last night, too, Blowhard. Oh, I'm, I'm, I had an eye on the Knickerbockers, without a doubt. Come on, I'm, Blowhard, don't let us down. You're come on, leader. class guy. Come leader, on, Leader, you know, I, I gotta be honest. I, no, hey, look, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big film fan. I mean, I love, like, I can sit and enjoy Fellini. I can watch uh, John Waters. I can watch uh, Clint Eastwood. I can That's watch... Good, uh, what about Sotomayor, Mello, LeBron, Wade? Come on. It was a big night last night. Oh, yeah. I'm, hey, look, they're moving in the right direction. They're moving in the right direction. I say another year or two, they're really going to really make a dent in that uh, Eastern Conference. But the Oscars is the Super Bowl. Come on. We got to... We got to New attention. York, Blowhard. Don't go Hollywood. Come on, leader. Don't miss the Hollywood on us, leader. Believe me, 
humbled, and I will always be Mr. New York. Always. Blowhard, 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 fucking blowhard, fucking blowhard, fucking blowhard, fucking blowhard. You are boring, boring blowhard. Why are we in a thing with you, fucking blowhard? Blowhard, blowhard. Blowhard, 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 fucking blowhard, 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 fucking blowhard. Fucking blowhard. Fucking blowhard. I really mean it. Jim, you're on with Ron and Fez. Here's the blowhard. Go ahead, Jim. Thanks, Ronnie. You know, I, I'm kind of blowhard's age, and I understand this longing for the past, but there were some pretty interesting films last night. I mean, I really enjoyed The Social Network. I enjoyed The King's Speech. No, uh, they're enjoyable the good films. They're definitely but, good films. But things but I just, like The Godfather, Ronnie's point's well taken. Things like The Godfather, The Wizard of Oz, they only come around every five, ten years. I mean, there's not... There's not that many instant classics, nor I don't think there ever has been. I mean, 39's the exception, because you had all those all those great films that one particular year, but, you know, you're laying on uh, longing for the good old days a little too thick today, Blowhard. I love that, but you're laying on a little too thick today. Well, I appreciate comments, but I will say this, that I just think that the Oscars are watered down, and I think that adding to... But let it roll over you. Take it. See what happens before you judge it. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I'm not, hey, look, I'm not going to just say if, if it's out now, it sucks. That's not the way it goes. I want you but, 77 years. Put oh, yeah, 77, 77 years. years are popping up. because. Yeah. And don't forget, back then, Ron, another beauty was the vinyl. I know it's making a comeback with the kids today, the vinyl, but there's nothing like getting that album when it first comes out. And You know what? I know that you loved your chords, but everything happens. It does, and to me, CDs and MP3s are just, you know, too clean. I like that. I like the grittiness of an LP, and, and even as a kid, the... the In my day, we had the LP. I like the grittiness. We had the LP. Yeah. And you had the B-sides. Mm. But no, I, I, I am open to new music, and our buddy Jersey Rich is always turning me on to... And uh, I listen to some stuff he gives me, like, right. you know... He, I, never, I never heard of my morning jacket, and Jersey Rich is like a big fan. He <laughs> yeah, he's cutting edge. <laughs> Here's John in Ohio. Hey, Ronnie, can Grandpa tell us about when candy bars were a nickel apiece? They were a nickel anyway, easy to shoplift, my yeah. friend. Especially a zag nut and a clock bar. Mm. And what happened to the Fifth Avenue bar? That's what I want to know. And why hasn't the tater tot picked up steam? Why is it french fries all the time? How come the tater tot never took off? These are the things of the past. That was 77 potatoes. That's right. All right, the tater tots. Nothing like them in the world with some fish sticks. That's a nice little dinner there. But the tater tots never took off. You go to a diner, you say, hey, can I get a steak? Yeah, give me some tater tots. They think you're crazy. There was time in uh, this country Let me just when- tell you this. 1977, Kevin from Connecticut wrote, yeah, 1977 was great. Elvis died, the New York City blackout, disco. Sure, it was awesome. But a blackout was a party. I got to be honest. It was a party. Now, would I had you a good start time having a... Um, a party if there was a blackout now or would you start being upset you know the last blackout when you guys were down in dc i remember you were trying to call me because i had the famous landline and your producer mm-hmm. screwed up but we had a party the last blackout here i was at my neighbors on the front stoop hanging out people were bringing down all the drinks why and the can't you get and... on talk stoop that's what i want to <laughs> see you that, that's my goal i would love to get on talk stoop and just talk because the stoop is well the problem is talk stoop is only like two minutes i gotta find that well stoop. that's 
you know, you know, two minutes is ridiculous for me. And again, that's why I don't Twitter because forty characters, I just can't hack it. Mm. And besides, I still find all these social networking things. I find them just to be. I mean, look, that that female call, I had it right. Who the hell wants to hear from me? Most. Uh, of I time? want to go over anyway. seventy-seven and find out where you were all this. What um, do you want to know about seventy-seven? Seventy-seven. Well, I well, how did you feel girl? when they discovered the rings of Uranus? Were you really excited then? Wow. That was great, and great television and All right, music. Fleetwood Mac's Rumors, was that a big day for you when that came out? You know, I wasn't a big fan of Fleetwood Mac, but I actually remember buying that album, and I left it on a radiator, and I melted it. All right, and I now will, I'm happy I did. I will give them this. The Clash debuted their That's first right. album. Ding, ding, ding. Um, well, we're really starting. Star Wars Open, your favorite film of all time. <laughs> I went to a midnight show at the Astor Plaza. It was great. Everybody was just tripping watching that movie. Was, like we uh, said, Elvis died. All right. Well, you know, you can't have everything. Um, Anita Bryant vote the anti-gay thing in Miami. That I stopped fun. drinking orange juice. You did? Yeah, I was showing solidarity to the homosexual community. Oh, yeah, you had Son of Sam. That must have been great for you. Oh, it was great. We actually had posses. We'd go in my friend's truck with like 20 guys in bats. We'd go around Bensonhurst looking for them. Uh, Fonzie's Jump the Shark, uh, Jump the Shark episode. Well, I think I think that Happy Days Jump the Shark years and years before that, but that's just me. Oh, uh, here's where you were ha- happy. Reggie Jackson hit his three home runs. Oh, great, great moment. Probably one of the greatest moments in sports history. Uh, the Skinner plane went down. Well, that's sad. Do you remember where you were when the Skinner boys hit the pavement? I got up in the morning, and I remember hearing it on the news, and the, and the newscaster here in New York mispronounced them. He called them like Leonard Skynerd or something. But I remember how it was heartbreaking to hear the Skinner boys going down. Definitely. Here's another good thing. The Bucks won their first game in 77. Yeah, I, I, I remember the Bucks' first game in their franchise history. I think it was the Jets that beat them. But it's um, great to see them come back. That was Coach John McKay, right? Yeah, it was John McKay, and I think they beat the Saints. Um, I think everybody beat the Saints back in those days. Rocky, you're in run Fez. What's up, fellas? Well, uh, was, uh, you like everything shittier. You're saying you like records. They sound like shit. CDs sound good. What do you also like? VHS? You like rewinding movies instead of just throwing the disc in and watching it? I go more for Betamax. And let's how much clean. of this is nostalgia and how much of this is you're saying the quality is better, Blowhard? Well, for me, I think that as if, if, if a lot of audiophiles will tell you that you do get better sound if you have a nice uh, sound system that you can really pick it up more on LPs than you can on CDs. But there's a lot of kids who agree with you. There's uh, the people that are collecting the LPs now are people in their early twenties. Yeah. People that like music, and I respect and that, not and I people like your age. And I, but I like that. I like that. I have neighbors of mine who are big audiophiles, and they invest a lot of money in their music, and they have albums going back, you know, thirty years, forty years, and it's a joy to sit there, have a cup of coffee, and listen to them play their systems, and and hear the beautiful the sound that comes out. And sure, you know, I was a horse's ass. I took my albums back then and threw them around, go to parties. You'd go to a party, you'd bring a stack of albums, whether right. it was the Ramones, whether it was the Clash, maybe it was uh, Talking Head 77, whatever. But, you know, I mean, I didn't take care of a lot of my albums because they were part of your social life. But then there are some albums and some people that just like to just treat them like they're, uh, you know, like they're Tiffany lamps, you know, like just, you know, barely touch them. And, All right, hold and on. Here's Josh. Them. Josh, uh, you yeah. go ahead. 
Yeah, hey, Blowhard, I know you're still bitter because Robert Moses built the highway through your neighborhood, and that's where this all stems from. <laughs> Is that true or false, Blowhard? Do you, are you glad that that went? Because I thought you were a Robert Moses fan. No, Robert Moses is the reason why the Dodgers really left, not the O'Malley, because he didn't want to give them the stadium in Brooklyn. But Robert Moses was also a racist. That's why he made parkways so the, the, the white people could go to the beaches, and there was no mass transit going to a lot of the beaches. Um, building the overpass and the highway to the Verrazano, I think it was brilliant, because the overpass is where I used to cop the best weed, right in the middle of the overpass. Cops came, that deal would just dump everything onto the, onto the BQE. So, no, uh, no complaints with the BQE and the overpass. Here's Freak. Freak, what do you got for Blowhard? Hey, Blow, I mean, I really don't fuck. I, I get a nostalgic point of what you're talking about, but we live in such a golden age. You live in a democratized art world where any fucking schmuck can throw up a movie on YouTube or anyone can record from their garage band and reasonably get this music out there. You live in the year of the fucking iPod. The iPod. Oh, yeah, hey, I got an iPod. Hey, I'm with the Times. I got rid of my auto-reverse uh, cassette player. I got the iPod going. I, I love it. I think it's, it's at times it's intimidating that the technology... Do you wish you had an iPod in the 77? Hmm? Did you wish you had an iPod in the 77? I was happy with what I had back then. My were, you, were you wearing Daisy Dukes back then? Was that a big look for you? Uh, <laughs> or a white suit? I think more, more of a Travolta. No, I was never a cuisine. I never dressed up like that. Um... I really like the ghetto blaster, to be honest. Did you grow the fan. hair? Hmm? Did you grow the hair long? Oh, yeah. I had a mullet. I looked like uh, Billy Idol with an eating disorder. Uh, but I had the big ghetto blaster, and the ghetto blaster was the thing that made the party. And uh, even though they were big in the hood, if you had one in your neighborhood, you were hanging out in the stoop or hanging out in the park, you get that ghetto blaster going, you throw some cassettes in there when cassettes are really... Uh, and the auto-reverse, and you could have a great party going all night long. Now, if that's the same as an iPod where you can get 30... Uh, we got to go now, Blowhard, but Pepper will be back later. He's going to drop you off some of that lasagna and some cheesecake. And then we're going to see you again on your birthday. See you soon, Blowhard. Hey, right? listen, I want to hear some of this new rock and roll stuff that and you And you call me to. if anything goes wrong, if you fall or anything. Take those meds. I will, because I also... I also, right now, believe it or not, just started taking Paw Solana for these liver spots. And, and life is good. The Metamucil's going All right, down we got to go, Blowhard. Thanks. Take care, day. fellows. Bye-bye. Get some rest. Bye-bye. Bye. The past was better. 77, specifically. 77, Sunset Strip. New York was falling apart. They made a documentary about how terrible the city was in 77. It just matters what age you were. You know what I mean? Whatever fucking age you were, you're like, those were the best times. 2002, dude. What? Everybody you know, when do you go back for your fucking high school reunion and you'll see people are still like listening to the same shit that they did in high school? And even some, some people peak in high school. Other people think they peaked in college. And they're like, fuck, do you ever miss it? Like, miss what? The keg parties, dude. Get all the chicks. Remember we roll a keg out in the fucking middle of the field? Yeah, now I drink in a fucking bar like a person. Oh. I don't have to run every time I see a cop. I have rights. I guess we're legal now. Silly, you miss it? These kegs were cheap. And then in 77, we would watch Making It on TV, and it was really good. All right, we got a break here. Coming up a little bit.
Uh, we're going to move from the 70s into the 80s. And uh, did you watch all the 80s uh, teen flicks? Yeah, I saw- just a little bit. Right back. Ron and Fez Show. You're listening to the Ron and Fez Show on the virus. Here is 197, XM202. Ha! 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 Taco Bell. What? I'm at the combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. I'm at the Pizza Hut. What? I'm at the Taco Bell. Nah. I'm at the combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. Wait, we're at the Pizza Hut. What? We're at the Taco Bell. What? We're at the combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. We at the Pizza Hut. No. We at the Taco Bell. No. We at the combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell.
Sean and Fez show the virus on Sirius XM. I don't care that you really were some pansy. Your own flesh and blood, and no, you made me proud. My son's a homosexual, and I love him. I love my dead gay son. Show. On a weekday, getting over some, uh, oh, you know, Oscar fever from last night. Oh, yeah. Hex, did it all come out the way you wanted? How did, did you make your famous dip? <laughs> no, there was no dip. There was just Budweiser last night. Do you have anybody to watch it with? Just me and my girlfriend watching the Oscars. Mm, where at? Where'd you watch Her it? Her apartment. Her apartment? Yeah. Mm. That's right. Just a little night in for two. What did she make for you? Oh, no, there wasn't any. There was just drinking. There was. Why, why would I want food? Just, mm. you know. Just another lost weekend. <laughs> I don't know, honey. I don't know what I'm going to do. I want to talk to you about it, but right now i got bigger fucking problems. Just stop. Don't, don't talk. Just come on. Just Give sit. me the cold one. Just sit. Come on. Look, HTG just uh, rolled in. HTG is... I see almost as being like the... Blowhard, where you're constantly remembering the Catskills and Miami Beach. Yeah, the funny thing is, I hated both of them the entire time oh, I, that I was there. Yeah, when my parents used to drag me to the Catskills, I thought this place smells like cat food, which is kind of an old age home thing. And I, you know, I didn't understand. Like, there was I think some what, fun. But... What you were smelling, that cat food smell, is what we would call Jew smell. Yeah. It smells like Jew. Mm-hmm. It's old Jew, though. Mm. It's an elderly Jew thing. And I can't tell you how much I complained to them about, I can't believe we have to go to this shitty place again. Right. And I will talk about that place now like I can't, I'm the luckiest person alive to have gotten to experience that. Now, did they, did they try to tell you at the time they would? No, but, you know, I think it's a combination of both. Um, at the time, I wasn't seeing and open to appreciating what right. was great about it, because I think I, th- there are a lot of those things I could have seen then. And then there's also just some of it, you're just, everything looks better from the rearview mirror. Ah, I see. So you're thinking that Blowhard in 77 was probably not smiling ear from ear, and you know, not dudes, we live in the best of times. Right. At the time, there were probably some things he really did love. I'm sure the punk music scene was actually as great as he remembers. Okay. But there was lots of other things that he, I, I highly doubt he appreciated while he was living it. Would, do you, yeah, I don't know if he was at CBGB's every night, the way he reminded. You know, he might have been there a couple times yeah. right. uh, a year, but really... Everybody does think they did everything all the time. Because yeah. my old friends are the same way. He didn't care about a matinee in a movie theater. No. Oh, joy, there's a matinee today. Let's go. He's just, just none of these things. And, you know, he's forgetting all the bad things. They kind of fade out of view. Like, the, you know, someone I saw wrote in about the gas lines. Um, oh, in and, 77? Yeah. yeah. That's and true. the Jimmy Carter presidency. There was plenty. There's so much to complain about then. Mm. Talk about someone like cat food. <laughs> It's a very good point. So what he really looks back on and remembers 
was just being young and having fun, and, and and that all stands out for him. I think you nailed it when you said he was also more open to things. Like, right. he, if you give him new music now, he's going to be hostile to it. He's not really listening to it with the same ear that he had in 77. Right. And I, I don't know that he's even capable of falling in love with it, even if it is great music now. It is weird, though, how... Whatever, if you ask most people, when was the, when was your favorite era of music? It probably goes from they were 12 to 22, and it doesn't matter where that ever fell into. Yeah, and you know, at that age, you're forming these new ideas, and these, and you, you might have fallen in love with music that wasn't even current for that time, or you might have. That's a very good point. It could be your older brother's albums right. or even your parents' radio station. There's a lot of people who get hung up with their dad's oldie station so that exactly. today they can sing all the oldie songs. Exactly. That's what I got attached to when I was a kid Driving was up to other the cat people's skills. music. Yeah. And that's OPM. why I always loved that. I never really learned the experience of hearing new music and, and, and you know, getting it. Mm. That's, all, that's what I was exposed to when I was a kid in those was it years. For you? Your favorite was always Eddie Cantor? Eddie Fisher, <laughs> no. any I, of the Jewish singers. I had a combination of my dad's, you know, cousin Bruce. You know, every time we were in the car, it was right. the cousin Brucey stuff, CBS. And then at home, my sister was, all, you know, always listened to the classic rock and you know the Zeppelin and the singer songwriters um, of the seventies. Super sounds of the seventies, K Billy. So you used that to listen to K Billy when you were driving around, right? You and your dad. No. <laughs> the, the, my exciting moment of, holy shit, I'm discovering my own music, was when, when someone in high school put headphones on me and played Led Zeppelin's. And that's embarrassing, because that was what in was it? the oh, 80s. Love- uh, cashmere, actually. Mm, nice. But that was in the 80s, so it's, do, I still do, was do, never... Do, 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 do. And you're like, holy shit. Now, did you happen to have been high at the time? Probably. Yeah. All right. Very high likelihood of that. Yeah. So, you're sitting there, you're a little stoned in your Jewish high school. Yeah. And they throw in cashmere, and you're thinking to yourself, this is it. This This is is the the shit. shit. (laughs) This is where it's all happening. (laughs) Waiting for it. I said, I can't believe I've missed this, that I haven't heard this before. What am I doing listening to my sister's old records? Right. But I'm going to have this 10-year-old album. Exactly. Wow. (gasps) And what's this called? Weed? (laughs) I was a little late getting intro to that too, but once and I found it. Who's this woman singing? She's great. <laughs> I just discovered over the weekend that Zeppelin um, apparently copied people. We're not thought to be terribly original. Time and space. This is so fucking good. It is. It still is. I also found Pink Floyd, them, and even went to go see them um, live. A little late. So it sounds like you grew up in a Jewish version of Dazed and Confused. Absolutely. This was and this was a big step up from wearing out um, the Grease soundtrack album that I'd been doing at home. Jesus, uh, Tom Little Rock, you're on the Run of Fez show. 
Yeah, there's a theory about uh, accessing a memory or remembering a memory. Mm-hmm. It's a lot like a computer file that you kind of override it because you think about it or tell somebody about it, and then you kind of save it again. And then when you access it again, it's that version. So you kind of that's how you kind of have that uh, everything looks better in a rearview mirror right. perspective because it shaves off those other things. And I loved your comment about Robert Plant and the feminine voice. I thought the same thing when I was a teenager. <laughs> it is weird, though. You do hit a thing, and and Hicks, see if you remember, like, the first time that you heard music and you thought to yourself, like, oh, wait, this is kind of important. I'm not just going to listen to it mm-hmm. when it comes on the radio, but I'm going to fucking jump into this shit a little bit. Oh, yeah. Fucking, sadly, it's not, I don't know if it's as bad as Cashmere, but Bob O'Reilly, the who... <laughs> These Fucking. are all the same things, no matter what generation. <laughs> These are stone uh, off my ass. Yeah. So you're a high as a kite, and I'll throw this out: eight six six Ron Zero Fez, eight six six. When did you decide music was just not something that your parents listened to on the radio? You needed to, and this is what yeah, high and feel. Oh fuck yeah! It's like, yeah. We are all wasted, oh, like we are now. <laughs> I'm wasted, and so are they. I can relate. Wow, is this a weird live version? Where, where is this fucking recorded last year? Listen to his voice. <laughs> well, I hit. Yeah, yeah. I hit different points in my life over and over I've rediscovered music and that music is important and yeah. you know the last couple of years just from listening to RBIs I've found a whole new you know the stuff that you should have also been into the stuff that yeah that nobody listened to where I grew up nobody there was no one to introduce me to it and yeah that's I guess that's bullshit it should have been my job to go find it but I didn't even know to look for it here's Driver in Colorado you're a manifest hey you're running with it. Hey, man, you ever heard of that uh, backtracking on the Zeppelin album? Yeah, I know. It's like a 15, 20-word backtrack. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> th- this, seriously, this was going so nostalgic that I'm in eighth grade again. <laughs> That's how far we've turned around on this. Uh, I'm trying to think for me, because mine was definitely my brother, my older brother's albums. That, like, when he wasn't in, I got into his albums, which was, uh, is why I always love the Almost Famous um, movie, because I had that experience of fucking pulling his albums out Sick. and going, wait, I'm going to try out this Neil Young here. I'm going to really, <laughs> and then I, and then we're like, wait, listen to these fucking lyrics. These are heavy. Um, Gary, you're on the Run of Face show. Oh, yeah, uh, good afternoon, guys. Uh, you know, when I was like 10 or 11, I was listening to Michael Jackson and, the whole, you know, uh, all that crap. Mm-hmm. I remember riding in the car with my dad, and it was uh, when Hendrix died. And my dad was a country music guy, but he stopped the station to listen. They were playing some live Hendrix. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to this day, every time I hear Machine Gun or some of them, I just get these chills, and it takes me back to being 11 years old, riding in the car listening to that. And it just never gets old. And that stuff stayed your music for your lifetime because of that experience. And because of that, I defend Hendrix to the bitter end, even though some of it ain't worth defending, but it just sticks with you. It's just amazing. Yeah, I I don't think you're going to have a huge trouble fucking defending Hendrix, dude. And someone else I discovered in the late 80s in high school. 
Doesn't matter. You know what I mean? I remember the first time I read Steinbeck. It felt it was new to me. Right. Didn't have to be a completely new book. I don't know why, you know what I mean? Like, you never have to be like, well, when I was 17, the best books ever came out. It doesn't matter when you're introduced to those novels. Music could be the same exact way. Um, 866-RUN-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RUN-ZERO-FEZ. Hey, Rob, you're on a fez. Rob, we got hey, you, buddy? Yeah. yeah, I got you. I, I remember as a kid, I was watching Don Kirshner's rock, rock concert. And uh, I was listening to the song Love and Touch and Squeezing. And I was looking at this girl singing this song. I fell in love with her. And it killed me when I found out it was a guy. It was Steve Perry. So not only did you fall in love with her voice, you fell in love with her looks. I mean, you must have thought, this girl has one of the scariest faces ever. Oh, my God. It killed me. It killed me. I can see why you could say, think this was a girl singing, though. Just then, you said we tried loving such an I've had a lot of famous girl voices in rock. When I'm alone, all by myself, you're all right, we got into this bit. When the music started to matter to you personally, here's the runs. You're on Run Fez. Yeah, uh, I don't know how old I was, maybe around 12, when uh, the Guns N' Roses song came out. Uh, Civil War. And I remember, like, the first time it hit me, I'm like, shit, man, this is some crazy stuff. I was like, JFK and all that. Right. Was, uh, what's, so, what's so civil about a war anyway? Gabe, San Francisco, you're on a fez. What's going on, Ronnie B? Yeah. Hey, I remember as a kid listening to Greece, and then we took a big step by going to a planetarium and listening to The Wall. We smoked weed. Did one of those fri- Friday night planetarium nights? Holy remember those? Smokes, Ronnie B. It just changed everything. I said, holy, I'm going from Greece to watching The Wall in a planetarium laser show. And of course, these are going to be such gigantic experiences for you. Of course, you're going to think about them the rest of your life. Do, do they still have that? I think so. I don't know. I haven't been to one. I mean, I'd look scary if I went to one now. Yeah, but you would think the technology's probably gotten even better. They must be amazing now. I kind of remember being bored with it, though, by the end of it every time. Oh, I loved it. Never got tired of it. Do you remember who you went to say at the planetarium shows? <laughs> who people would be yelling and shit? Yeah, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd. I saw Doors one once. Because the sound was always really good in there, remember? sound was amazing. And then you could also lay back, and you just... You tried to be fucking stoned right up to the last second. Half the times I had my eyes closed for them, but I do remember the one, the last one I saw was a Zeppelin one, and I thought it was just amazing how the things they could do with just very, very simple technology then. That was better technology than you had in your bedroom. Here's Bruce, Sherman Fez. Yeah, Ron, my mom used to play this oldie station in the car and I was like eight or nine and went over to a friend's house and he pulled out that fucking back in black album and I was like they fucking make this kind of music and <laughs> I know. it blew my mind yeah 
Everybody needs something that just fucks them up when they're a kid. Another thing that happened in the, in the 80s, though, is you would go out as soon as you saw a light show and try to make your own in your bedroom. You go to Spencer Gifts, you get the strobe light, you get the black light, and, and some kind of traffic light that spun around. The fact that there even was a Spencer Gifts is funny. Does that even still exist? It still exists. I didn't know that. We're talking about your hail, hail rock and roll moment, the, the time and the song that made you think, wait. Music is a little import, more important than I thought it was. Brett, you're on Run Fez. Hey, hey, Ronnie. How you doing today? Good. Uh, yeah, I remember when I was about eight or nine and heard uh, Pearl Jam's Even Flow. That just set me off. Still my favorite band. Still there for you. Mumbling, mumbling the lyrics, don't even know what they say. Nirvana, Nirvana is the band that lives across the street from us. We're short pants, short pants when I sing and have a bunch of fun. All right, now everyone knows the lyrics. Even flow. Now, this song was written to be sung in sports fucking stadiums. You couldn't have this song in a small place. It needs to be in a sports stadium immediately. Hell, hell, rock and roll. Where did it all start to work for you? Look who it is. is our good friend GVAC. GVAC. Good afternoon, everybody. How's it going? Good, pal. Uh, growing up, Mom was a, a big rock and roll fan. She played the oldies, the 50s and 60s stuff, and uh, my dad was a huge country guy. He played nothing but Hank Sr., Waylon Jennings, all that stuff. And to this day, I love that music. I'll listen to old classic country and oldies, you know, all day and night, because right. that's what I heard. But... The first time I heard Sweet Home Alabama on the radio, it was like this perfect marriage of the two. I heard like rock and country together, and I, I went literally went nuts for it. I mean... You always yell, turn it phone. up. Absolutely, brother. And my hand to God, Ronnie, I've heard this song 10 million times in my life, and I will never turn it off. I'll never be sick of it. Never. All right. This is for GVAC. I this, agree. This is baby song. Big wheels keep on turning.
And now it's one of Hicks's favorite movies. That fucking movie, Sweet Home Alabama. Can't get enough. Thanks, Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, where they have some girl singing it. <laughs> some nice girl. Nice homage. Uh, let's go over here to Ben in Atlanta. You're in run of Fez. Ronnie. Yeah. Uh, I remember the early 90s. I'll never forget my brother worked at a record store, and he brought me home that first Rage Against the Machine album. The killing of the name of the whole thing was just insane. Oh, Love. yeah. Uh, this was gigantic and a great era. The early 90s was just a terrific era for music. Start to get into the song. By the way, this is what happens in Charlie Sheen's head wherever he's driving. He's hearing this from the inside. Sick. It's amazing. Uh, John, John, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, Ronnie, what's going on? Good. Listen, the big one was the transition of listening to AM radio, pop music, to finding the FM station in the 70s. That was amazing. Yeah, whenever you make that leap from the top 40 station. To the album station, it's always a big thing for a kid. Um, always, always bizarre. Wow, I was just thinking about her the other time, and it's been a long uh, other day. Uh, it's been a long time. Joyce from under the console. How are you, Joyce? Ronnie, honey, how are you doing? How are you doing, darling? It's been a long time. Good, good. Fighting a cold, but I had to chime in on this one. Um, I'm I'm a drummer's daughter, and all I knew was Tommy Dorsey and Glenn Miller in grammar school. Mm-hmm. And then I got my hands on the Kiss Alive album. Oh my god, that blew me away! And then all I could think was, this must be what every concert is like. I have to go to one. I was a little kid, I mean, you know, but it changed everything. I discovered FM radio myself, uh, and it uh, you know me and a bunch of girlfriends and. 
It turned us a lot around. It really did. And it was all about Kiss, and that opened you up to all kinds of all new music. Oh, yeah, it did. And yeah. it didn't help that I bought that six foot. Remember how you had those wall posters? Sure. Six and eight feet tall? Uh-huh. Kiss all over my bedroom. <laughs> Thanks so much, sweetie. That's adorable. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, it's always that first song that leads you to the first album, and then you start to go on from there. Although Eddie Trunk stayed with Kiss, the other people had decided to move along. Hail, hail, rock and roll. We were talking about what was the thing that turned you around and made you start caring about music. For Kiss, it was right here. Kiss Alive coming to Joyce under the console and waking her up and making her feel things in places she never did before. Uh, coming up a little later on, we're going to be doing 80s movies and then dropping any nostalgia stuff for a day or two <laughs> after the blowhard conversation. It's got me nervous, like you can get addicted to it. Uh, here's Jim. Jim, you're on Fez. Hey, Ronnie, I was thinking about you when you got your uh, appendix taken out. So when I was a freshman, we had speech class, and I uh, played Sister Morphine and, and, uh, from the Stones and talked talk the class through it. I think I turned about 20 people on to pot that day. Mm. And other things. This is when you, it's so funny how when you start listening to dope songs before you're on dope. Tell me, Sister Murphy. It's a fucking great song. Coming round. Written by an RBI. Mm-mm. One of the muses. Who was the muse for the Stones? Oh, uh, Mary I'm Faithful. Very she's good. amazing. She wrote this song. I can hear that, actually. And now she sings it like this. Hello. Oh, you see. She's someone I found someone I started listening to after hearing RBI. I heard that from a few people. A few people got into her after that. I found so much music. Uh, here's Sean. Sean on line one. You're on Ronnie Fez. Uh, yeah, Ronnie. Uh, my defining moment was when I heard Running with the Devil for the first time. That intro, uh, goosebumps up the arm. This was very big in suburbs, USA. No matter where you were, if you were a kid and you heard this, you could be in any suburban town and you're like, wait, who are these fucking guys? How can this all happen with just three fucking players? Here's uh, Brian, Connecticut. You're on Run of Fez. 
Hey, Ronnie. You know, I was probably about in fifth grade, I think, and one of the kids is heard by Black Sabbath. Right. And right then and there, I knew there was more to music than just REO Speedwagon and Sticks. I'm like, this is it. Now, did you stay with the Sabbath thing? Are you still a fan? I'm still a fan, not a huge fan, but uh, my musical tastes have definitely changed over the years. But that first album of theirs is early. Their early album is so raw and just pure. It just it, Every time I hear it, it still hits me, you know? It's very interesting how many people Kiss and Sabbath brought into rock. For some reason, they're a gateway drug for kids. It's kind of interesting, too, like how blues-based some of this stuff is more than metal. And just how strange Ozzy's voice is. There's, there's no reason to have that voice. It's not like anybody else's. And he still has it, despite all the craziness. Very unique. Never talking, just keeps walking. Yeah, I don't know how many um, metal bands have a harmonica. Not anymore. But this is really the beginning of it. This was kind of the start of metal music right here. They didn't even have the name worked out. Here's Dave in Nebraska. You're on Fez. Hey, Ronnie. I got to say, uh, I started high school in 1967, and up until that point, I've been kind of sharing the Beatles and whatnot. Even my mom and dad kind of liked them. But man, when I heard "Light My Fire," the Doors' premier album, man, it was my music. They had no idea what was going on, and uh, most people didn't either. But it was a bomb for me. You know that it would be untrue. You know that I would be a liar If I was to say to you Girl, we couldn't get much higher Come on, baby, light my fire Come on, baby, light my fire Try to set the night on fire The time to hesitate is through yeah, I guess the kid who was playing a church organ suddenly felt a lot hipper after this song came out. Here's uh, Sean, Philly, Yerman Fez. Hey, Ronnie B. Yeah. For me, it was uh, like 1984, 85. I just turned 14, and I've been listening to, you know, whatever the radio was putting on at the time. Right. And a kid across the street, college kid, introduced me to three albums that just changed my life forever. And basically, is when I got introduced into punk, and one of them being suicidal tendencies. I went from listening to Madonna and stuff like that to listen to hmm. you know, I Saw Your Mommy and Your Mommy's Dead. And I think I emotionally scarred my parents that year. Yeah, that is the big move. Because it not only changes like what music you listen to, now it changes the way you talk, the way you dress, and the way you look at other people. Because if you yeah. had a kid that you used to hang out with, who tells you, wait, this song blows, let's go listen to Madonna, that friendship's over. You're like, fuck you. And you, okay. if you hadn't met that guy who made that introduction, you know, you're 
so many things in your life could have been different. If you're still listening to the, the guy who's still listening to Madonna versus the guy who's listening to this is living a completely different life. Absolutely. And it happens quick. But, you know, you look at those people listening to Madonna. Some people look at them and think, what a loser. Or, this guy's got no taste. And, and yet you can see there is the potential for someone like that if they're exposed in the right way to be open to a whole different kind of music. And, and again, but who knows? Maybe that's just whatever sounds good to them. There's some people who liked punk rock. There's some people who like disco. Who's to say who's right or wrong? You know, it's but I do think that you need something that matters to you. Yeah, Ron, the first CD I ever got, I put my thumb over the black and white parental advisory label. I told my mom it was Boys to Men, and I went home and blasted Beastie Boys Sabotage as loud as I fucking could over and over and over again. And this band actually surprised me. This is like if Pauly from the Jersey Shore suddenly started making great music. Because we thought of the Beastie Boys in the first album as just being Jersey Shore. We're like, oh, they're kind of funny and weird, and they got one hit, and yeah. they're not going to be around long. Silly white boys. And they're still now around, and we're going on, what, 25 years or more? Yeah. Well, I found the Doors through their pop hits. You know, that was what was, Cousin Brucey was playing a couple of the Doors songs. And, you know, then you look for more and, and find out there's a lot more to it. Cousin Brucey's a million. He's a million years old. How old are you? You and Blowhorn? I love you Cousin Brucey. I know. I know you do. You get excited every time you see him. Here's Terry. You're on Run Fez. Hey, Ron. How are you? Uh, hey, the, we, I didn't have an older brother, so I got all my music from, I think a lot of people had this, it was the high school kid who always had the cool car and was working on it every day, and me and my buddies were six or seven, and we'd run across the street and just go through his trunk and pull out all his eight tracks and just mm -hmm. pop in music. But I guess the one was when I heard Neil Young, Hey, Hey, My, My, Live Rust, I just said, what is this? And then when he gave me the Harvest album, I said to myself, how can the same guy do both of these songs? Yeah. This goes back to you, being a kid, hanging out over the El Camino.
right, we're going to take a break. Uh, we come back. You couldn't ignore me if you tried. Susanna Gora has written a book about the Brat Pack, John Hughes, and their impact on a generation. We'll have her in next. Talk a little bit of 80s films if you want to get in on it. Maybe we'll do some 80s trivia. After the jump, Ron Fez Show. It's a little bit uh, from Pretty in Pink, and Susanna tells me 25 years ago to the day that that film came out. That's right. February 28th, 1986. Uh, Susanna Gora knows more about 80s teen movies, I'm going to say this, than anyone on the planet Earth. <laughs> well, I would love it if that was true. I mean, mm-hmm. it's possible that I certainly know more about it than maybe anyone except for people who made the movies themselves but I take pride in knowing a lot about them let's put it that way you couldn't ignore me if you tried the Brat Pack John Hughes and their impact on a generation we've had Susanna in before and now today uh, your book is going uh, paperback which I was telling this to Hicks it's not that easy anymore. In no. The- in this day and age, it's really very lucky, happy thing for a book to get a paperback edition, and I am incredibly grateful and excited. Now, I read everything on Kindle, but uh, that has nothing to do with anything yet. <laughs> I'm not even sure I got a Kindle. Yeah. I don't know if I like it. I think I like a book. Yeah. I, I, I like it all, but it's nothing like turning those pages. Right? There is something about having a book. All right. HTG, you considered yourself an 80s girl and you of course you like the jewish brad packers who were the jewish ones <laughs> oh let's see um well being half jewish myself i'm trying uh-huh. to think uh okay well judd nelson is jewish judd nelson could be oh. your favorite well, HDJ. my parents always it was always it, one of the tribe may gave you a reason to like them no more. Ma- 
matter who they were. No matter who they were. That's who you rooted for. Is so Beastie Jewish. Boys is very big for you. I'm sure my parents and Neil Diamond. Them. Neil, well, yeah, Neil Diamond, of course. And I don't know if you consider Jennifer Grey part of the Brat Pack. She's I kind do. of an honorary member. I do consider her, but part she's of she may be half or she's she's got some Jewishness going on. Mm. But it never mattered to me. I was always looking to get out. I wasn't looking to identify. <laughs> You didn't identify with any of the Brad Packers. You no, never no, I didn't. On this one, oh, definitely. But but I Which mean, I wasn't looking for you know a Jewish. Brad. <laughs> I was looking to get out of the Jew thing. No, but for you, when you watched the Brad Pack, who'd you identify with? The kid that had the elephant nose thing and couldn't the smart kid. Uh, yeah, there 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 needed to be a smart girl kid. That's mm-hmm. the one I would have identified with. Uh, probably Al- in the Breakfast Club. Probably Ali Sheedy was the one. Yeah. that you still remind me of Ali Sheedy in that movie. The way that like yeah. if you draw something, you'll try <laughs> to make snow out of your dandruff. <laughs> Just the disgusting behavior. <laughs> Uh, Hicks, you always identified with the janitor who came in later. Was <laughs> that guy was the best. I interviewed him too, John Kapalos. He's a cool dude. Do you know he also played the creepy guy who marries Molly Ringwald's sister in Sixteen Candles? He was the, he was oh. the oily bohunk. Exactly. Oh, the oily bohunk, yeah. I can see in my head now. Yes, he's a lovely, nice That's man. Great. <laughs> is he still working? Is he still doing things? Oh my thing? gosh, yeah. that guy is, yes, all the time. TV, yeah. movies. He's one of those character actors that just gets constant work. I'd see if it's with any uh, trivia. And I will say this to the listener. Be brave enough to call us with any question, and I think we will do. It's 866-RUN-ZERO-FEZ, 866-RUN-ZERO-FEZ. Hicks, you're going to be on our team. We're all going to be one team. Oh, thank God, one team. (laughs) We're one team, and we're going to be like the Family Feud family. (laughs) Like Family Game Night. This is great. Family Game Night with Todd Newton. All right, let's try this, Susanna. Okay. Give us a question. I've got some easy, some hard, some in the middle. Let's start with the easy. Okay. Um, okay. What? All right. What's the name of the town? I think this is pretty easy, but okay. maybe this is just because my husband and I love Back to the Future so much. What's the name of the town that Back to the Future is set in? I know this. Is it's Chai Pennsylvania? No, I, no, no, no. <laughs> I no, no. I know this though. <laughs> what is it? It's Hill Valley. Yeah. Give us a ring, team. All right, we're going to move up a step in this, and also the listeners can't stump us. Anything from 80s trivia, we're amazingly good at. Okay. Not as good as you, Susanna, because you said you know more about <laughs> 80s trivia than anyone else on earth. That's why the book's going to do so like well. Watson of 80s trivia. <laughs> How Watson? do you know I'm Watson. not? Uh, maybe I'm a supercomputer. Well, that'd be nice if you were. <laughs> okay. Um, what physical ailment does Mikey in The Goonies, played by Sean Astin, suffer from? I do know this. Oh. It's Good. elephantitis. Is that <laughs> it? That's bad. That's really not. That's not a buzzer. It's supposed to be you our know team. This one? Yeah, I got it. Okay, what Come do you on. got? Give me asthma. Yeah, that's right. right. A little Thank inhaler you. action going on. All right, so we're action going on. All right, so we're all right. Our, our family is doing well. Okay. Um, I wouldn't have known that one. What legendary band? And I mean, like seriously legendary. Has John Stamos? Full House's Uncle this Jesse played know. the drums for. This one I do know. He's a drummer uh, for the Beach Boys. Yay! All right, so there I am. Wait, really? <laughs> yeah. That's right? He goes out on the road with the Beach That's Boys. That's correct. Yeah. That's true. That is a wow. true Now, fact. he didn't start with them in like 62, <laughs> but he goes out with them now. I thought that was... Um, <laughs> no, and he even had kidding. them on that on Full show House. That he there did. was a very yeah. special episode where wow. they all went. I don't know, maybe Hawaii. I think it was Hawaii, uh, where he got to have his dream come true by playing drums with them, and then they all hit it off so well that he occasionally drums for the Beach Boys. Uh, well, uh, let's. Uh, 
Uh, the book is You Couldn't Ignore Me If You Tried. Uh, the Brat Pack, John Hughes, and their impact on Generation. You get this from Amazon or Amazon, BratPackBook.com is its website, etc. By the way, I will give you $10,000 if you put my name on this with you and say it's by both of us. Because I've always <laughs> wanted to say that I wrote a book. But I'm too lazy to do it. Um, here's uh, Aaron, you're on Okay, I have a question for you, 80s question. Yeah. Name Josh Brolin's skateboard movie from the 1980s. Oh, no. I believe that was No Country for Old Men. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong. It's the prequel. Aaron? Um, I believe it was Thrashing. And the um, final scene, they fought... With um, bags on the end of chains on sticks, like Ooh. half of a nunchuck with a with a bag full of rocks I, and a skateboard. Dish. I can honestly oh. tell you, I'm not even familiar with that movie. Yeah, it somehow never escaped my attention, but it's going to the top of the. Because <laughs> I, I don't think he saw it outside his town. Kevin, you're on the Fez. Morning, guys. There was an '80s film. It was kind of like a Brat Pack wannabe group, and uh, the girl, the girlfriend from Better Off Dead, was in it. Do you remember that movie? Oh yes. You mentioned it the other day, Ronnie. It's one of my favorites. What are we talking about? Last American Virgin. That's the one. Oh, yeah. One of my all time. It's one of my favorite eighties movies. And so you're right. Was, not wow. a lot of people know it. Good. That, that was the question. What was the movie? Yeah. <laughs> it right. came up um, when Charo was here. Yeah, matter of fact, because they thought Charo. Oh, because everyone thought Charo was the woman in it. Right, right, and that mm. turned, that woman was from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It wasn't Charo. Now Charo, from her appearance here the other day got mentioned all over the place but really? not for our show the, what's her name Lady Gaga is nothing right. but uh, Madonna with diarrhea oh, and no. that just raced just raced out there I'm like why can't our gold get out there <laughs> we had a sexy sexy party I know why am I in the Alcu's shadow I'm on a fist Ronnie B I got a question yeah who played in less than zero oh, yeah. who played Robert Downey Jr.'s drug dealer go Susanna, you got this one. I, he, I, member of the Brad Pack. I had a feeling. Also, I'm, I'm, I may be humiliated <laughs> if I get it wrong. And I did interview Andrew McCarthy, who, of course, is great in that movie, let's not forget. But is it James Spader? It is James Spader. It is. Yay! I remember that one very well. And uh, Spader was actually great in that. Spader was better in those 80s movies, I think, than he gets credit for. Oh, he was excellent. I mean, he really created that sort of uber 80s, yuppie, preppy, mean dude character mm-hmm. that we see now, you know, spoofed on TV and in movies yep. all the right. time. The douche boat, right? Douche boat, is that what it's now? Dream boat meets douche Ooh, bag. I like it. Douche boat. He's the kind of guy who would wear loafers with no socks, you know, with his white linen suit to high school. And for some reason, think because his parents had money, he did, was doing better. Oh, he was so mean during that Pretty in Pink, and then still wanted to sleep with her. Mean, and yet some people think he's the kind of the best, most interesting character in that movie. That's girls that end up being abused. That's the type <laughs> that they are. These are girls with slow, low self-esteem. <laughs> Where wouldn't you have picked Ducky oh, come if on. it was up to you? <laughs> No one wanted Ducky to get the girl. He's the Baxter. Oh, a lot of people wanted him to get it. In fact, it's called yeah. Ducky Gate, the debate over the ending switch. Because originally she did end up with Ducky, and then they changed it. You know, Because the women were so appalled yeah. that somebody would pick a Ducky when <laughs> yeah, there's a well, douche boat. People didn't feel it was realistic. They didn't feel that, that, that any real woman was going to pick the Ducky. Well, they showed it to a, a test audience of teenagers, and they all booed at the original ending, and that's when the filmmakers... The filmmakers were kind of torn on this, you know, because the original vision was for her to end up with Ducky, but they ultimately felt we got to give the people what they want. Because here's the sad thing. Filmmakers are probably Duckies. In yeah, their yeah. real life, yeah. they were the Duckies. 
Now, uh, you were right, though. He was the original Baxter that came on to be right. the guy that was left behind. Um, it, just, it just it would have seemed too much like wishful thinking, too much fantasy. Uh, you know, the neat, perfect ending is she ends up with the good guy. But, but that's not what really happens. Not that a movie has to. Plus, Ducky didn't know it yet, but he was gay. He was gay. <laughs> he was completely gay. Well, a lot had to do with the casting, too. I mean, like, Molly Ringwald told me that if maybe they had cast someone like Robert Downey Jr. in the Ducky role, you know, maybe it would have been right. a little more something you could really imagine them getting together at the end. But no one could re- imagine having sex with John Cryer. Well, that and everything about him was the person you knew who was saying they weren't gay, but you knew they were, and that just when time was, the time was right, they'd mm. be able to express that. He, every single quality about him in that movie matched that person you knew in real life who was going through that. Yeah, mm. my, when I talked to Molly Ringwald, she said to me that basically she thought at the ending that the character Ducky seemed a little gay that if they were going to remake the movie now you know at the end he'd be like coming out rather than at the end him right. that would have made a lot more sense girl, yeah. that would have been great that would have been but a really brave little movie I think John Cryer by the way is adorable and I can't imagine no I think very he's very young. adorable no. and I can't imagine a lot of girls by the way have huge crushes on Ducky as John Cryer mm-hmm. played him that's why Ducky Gate is still such a passionate topic of so debate you wouldn't have had a problem <laughs> if she would have left with Ducky no, I think it would have been sweet. I mean, look, I prefer it that she ended up with the Andrew McCarthy character. They had such better chemistry throughout the whole story. Um, but no, I think it would have worked in its own sweet way had she ended up with Ducky. X, who would you rather seen it with, Ducky or the rich kid? Oh, give me Ducky. I know that rich kid was kind of a dick. <laughs> he was an idiot too. I would have liked to see her Thelma and Louise it and just hightail it out of town. I don't need any of you people. Yeah. yeah. I would have liked that, too. <laughs> this is just high school. What am I doing? Um, I'm a drifter. <laughs> here is um, here's Jeremy in Minnesota. We can't be stumped in 80s trivia. All right. Well, this one should be easy, then. At the very beginning of the movie, some kind of wonderful, Mary Stuart Masterson's character is playing along uh, to a song. What was the name of the band? I think it's, it, is it called like Lick the Skins or Lick the Tins, something like that? No, Flesh for Lulu. Oh, Flesh for Lulu, of course. And it, the song, oh, I'm sorry, that was, yeah. And you wrote the I book, I did. Come on. I know. She's not, it's not a, a tiny trivia book <laughs> of everything. <laughs> Let me tell you about this book. She not only goes and through in the casting and the writing, and I think that when you get to the end of this, and if you're really being honest, that you've got to say that John Hughes was was kind of a genius. All right, I'm going to get not the same kind of genius that we normally throw, you know, the word genius around that, but in the, the kind of genius of like a great pop musician. There's something really brilliant about what he did with these films and how fast he did them one after another. Oh, yeah, and, and he, he portrayed teenagers and their lives in a way that no one really had before. Right. And that's what allowed the films to connect so deeply with that generation of people. See, I also think that this this is a very weird thing. Most of the time when you make high school movies, it's like dazed and confused, you're 35, and you decide to make a movie about the high school years when you were in there. Right. And you catch American Graffiti did it. We've done that at a lot of places. But these films came out in the 80s and yet had like 80s nostalgia. I mean, they literally were like romanticizing the 80s during the 80s. 
Right. Almost impossible yeah. to do. It's hard to capture that when it's going on. But I, I think I just had a deep revelation moment. Okay. Was some kind of wonderful the same as Pretty in Pink, just reversing That's the gender? That's a yes. very good observation. Why did it take it this long? Though? I don't know. I feel like an <laughs> idiot. No, it's a very good observation. And, uh, you know, if you think about it, some kind of wonderful is almost like Pretty in Pink if... Ducky had, you know, gotten right. the girl. Um, but the difference is, of course, that, you know, the Mary Stuart Masterson character, I think Who's, any guy would have the hots for her. With her yeah. yeah, so, um, but, I mean, a lot of fans really feel that some kind of wonderful sort of provides them the satisfying ending that they didn't get if they wanted to see her end up with Ducky and Pretty and Pink. Although I wanted to see him with both of them at the end. <laughs> and I, I think I speak for most fans. <laughs> Um, but actually, she wasn't. Were you working with me when she came in to do the show, man? No, I wasn't. No. God, she's beautiful still. Just really. Mary Stuart Masterson. Yeah, just oh, yeah. a stunning, stunning. stunning and woman. so is Leah Thompson. Really beautiful. I haven't seen her in a while. She looks I, good. Um, here's uh, Mike. Mike Herman Hey, uh, Weird Science, 1985. Uh, it was what uh, Anthony Michael Hall, mm-hmm. his sidekick Wyatt, who played his older brother. Oh. Uh, this I know. Because I've got his face in front of me. He's easy to. It's Bill. Is it Bill Paxton? Yeah. Damn, you're right. Uh, Bill Paxton came in to do the show not too long ago, and everybody still wants to talk to him about that one yeah. <laughs> small bit part. The guy's been in a million movies. Yeah, he's huge. Big TV shows, and they, and they love him. Because yeah. you didn't, at the time, you didn't know, you didn't pay that much attention. You just remembered sort of the character, and then right. you find out later that this guy that you've now loved yeah. in so many other things right. was that. Weird character. Right. It's it's huge. It's a right. huge discovery. Well, what's interesting is if you think about it, you know, these movies were in so many cases, uh, like the first big presenting of so many of our big actors came mm. in these movies. Sometimes in bit roles. I mean, John Cusack. One of the first movies we ever really saw him in was a small role in Sixteen Candles, right. playing one of the friends of you know, kind of a geeky type character. Joan Cusack had an amazing role in Sixteen Candles. Remember the nerdy girl who wears a neck brace oh, yeah, she's and she's great. trying to like drink water out of the water fountain. I mean, so there's so many little treasures like that when you go through these movies. You can't believe the kind of bit parts that people who went on to become major actors of their generation had. And for and for some reason, it made Chicago. Almost somewhat hip. Yeah, huge. Fucking every yeah. one of them. Mm-hmm. Every one Especially of them Ferris. Was... Oh, Ferris. No, Ferris is the best. I have a Ferris trivia question. All right, go ahead. Let's oh, try shit. it. I feel, <laughs> I feel like I really want to get this. This too. is really one of those that you either know or you don't. And okay. I feel like the, all, all of us good fanboys and girls out there know this one. Uh, what does the license plate say on Cameron's father's red sports car? In Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and this—if I'm not mistaken—this license plate was recently like auctioned or sold or something like that. It's oh, a, I'll man. give you a hint. It's a word, not you know. It doesn't have any numbers or anything. It's a word. It wasn't. I. I can't it, it's remember. a word that, that captures. No, I thought it had something to do with either speed or fast, but now I now I can't. The word never's in it for some reason. It's cl- you're very close. It's work a, it, work it, Hicks. Never, never. You're never very close. Driven, never work fast. Never take my car. <laughs> What is it? Well, it's how would Cameron's dad feel if he knew that Cameron was out tearing up all over town in this car? He'd be pissed. Yeah. It's you give up. It's nervous, but spelled N R N R V O U S. And then you knew it. Cameron I can tell that Chris knew it. It was on the tip of his tongue. Somewhere in there. <laughs> um, here's another one. This is kind of easy. Okay. In, in what fictional town did John Hughes set many of his movies? I've I've seen that recently and I can't remember because there there, there was a documentary and they went back to it. Uh, the, a bunch That's of kids right. did a documentary and they well, went back to the town. Was it Chichester? It's, it's in a, Illinois. It's a fake town. 
I mean, a fictional town. But uh, it begins with an S. I bet some callers out there uh, know. Sherman. That, Shermer. Shermer. Very good. Yay. The high school was named that, That's right? right. Shermer High. Shermer That's High. good. Indeed. Okay, so now, just to get back to TV for a second. All right. This may be easy for some. On what 80s television show did Johnny Depp first become well-known? Oh, got it. We know this. Go ahead. 21 Jump Street. Yay! Amazing show. (laughs) Why isn't that on in reruns? That's Um, right. That is a good good question. Attention the hub. Hub? Yeah, the hub. Oh, man, it's all about Wonder Years, followed by Doogie Howser, MD. (laughs) I love the hub. Uh, Okay, what was the name of those popular trading cards that spoofed Cabbage Patch Kids? Little kids collected them in the 80s. Garbage Pail Kids. Yay! Oh, these are good. Rusty, Indiana has a question. Is that 80s? Yes, 80s question. My favorite member of the of the Brat Pack, Allie Sheedy. I had such a crush on her. She's when great. she was a little girl, she wrote a book. Yes, you she know, did. The title of the book. It's called "She Was Nice to Mice." <laughs> it's a, it's a little right. children's book about a mouse who is uh, privy to a queen's secret, like an actual queen's secret in in England. And uh, yes, and Allie was a precocious young child, very intelligent, grew up in Manhattan. A lovely, warm, smart lady. I will give her $10,000 if she said I co-wrote that book with her. <laughs> now, Allie, I always like. Did you guys like Allie or hate her? Well, she was good. Because there, people love have her. either a love-hate thing. Love. love. I've noticed. Oh, I always love. thought she was adorable. I always wanted to be more like her. And she, to me... Her character. ...was the one who got to do like the more interesting roles than a lot of the other girls. Like, oh, yeah. She got to do a lot of other cool flicks she was, besides that. She was the troubled one. She was the yeah. outcast. Yeah. And she told me every day in New York, someone comes up and says to her, you know, I, w- I was Allison in the Breakfast Club. That was her name? Allison. I, knew, I couldn't have... I, if you had asked me what her name yeah. and the, her character's name was, See, I wouldn't know. That would have been a way to stump you. Yeah. <laughs> Although you did know Sherby or whatever the hell Shermer. it was. <laughs> Sherby. <laughs> right, Sherby Town. What, uh, Mikey boy. Hey, Mikey. Hey, guys. Uh, what uh, one-time A-list actor was cast in Fast Times Ridgemont High but was almost completely cut out? You can barely see him in the movie now. Um, A-list actor. Is, is this, did he go on to win an Oscar? Uh, I yeah, believe he did, yes. Are you talking... I mean, uh, Forrest Whitaker? No, no, he's in much less than Forrest Whitaker. Oh, oh, uh, someone who's like barely in oh, it. I know who was uh, barely in it. That's Nick Cage. That's right. Oh, good. Oh, That's Nick right. Cage. Of course. Uh, he's only in one scene, like working at a fast food yes. place. That's right. That American was him. Burger, yeah. yeah, I had no so idea. He had a bigger role in that. Yeah, they yeah. cut him out. Actually, if you you know when they show uh, movies on TV sometimes and they bring back the scenes that get cut out sometimes, right. there's actually a couple scenes that like if you watch the TV version of it uh, that he pops up in a little more. Was cool. he good? I love that. No, not really. <laughs> was he oh. at the uh, pirate place or the uh, all breakfast American one? Burger. Oh, all American burger. I think I have an image in my mind of him with the little like paper hat on, right? Yeah, yeah. I think when uh, Judge Reinhold gets fired, they show him like for a second, like stick his head up and pop back down. That. (laughs) (laughs) Was that your favorite out of all the Mikey Boy? That might have been. I I was a big fan of that one. That might have been my favorite. Yeah. What? What? Now, was there an '80s movie that everybody loved that you don't like? Well, you know what? I, I I can't say definitively, but I've never actually seen Goonies. I've never made it all the way through. Yeah, I'm the same way with Goonies. I don't care much for it. You love it. It was on when I was a little kid on like w- on Channel Eleven here in New York constantly. Like Saturday so, afternoon, I know you were the one Hicks. on the asthma thing, and I was totally totally <laughs> lost on that. I didn't know. It. I'm not a big Goonies. More Gremlins than Goonies. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, Mikey boy, good one. Oh, and by the way, you're. 
screener, I had to sort of spell out Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It sounded oh. like he'd never heard of it. He's <laughs> going. He's a lot better at getting pizzas real fast. <laughs> he didn't know who Kirk Douglas was. Oh. That's nice. Ouch. Um, Todd, you're on Fez. Great show, Ronnie. Yeah. Um, in the 80s, what was the going rate for an 8-ball? 55. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Oh, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, it's better. Better than. Um, here's uh, Chad. You're on Ron and Fez. What's up? Can you hear me all right, Ronnie? I hear you perfectly, Chad. Uh, I've been told that I can't, that, that I need to speak up. But anyway... Uh, John Cusack was in a movie called Better Off Dead. Great movie. Uh, where he was trying trying to commit suicide the whole entire movie. Um, what chased him around the whole entire movie? Buzz, got it. What is it? Newspaper boy. He $2. wants his $2. dollars my $2. Yeah, but do you know who played that part? No, no idea. <laughs> that was Kevin Spacey. Holy Kevin Spacey shit. as a child. <laughs> oh, whoever brings that up. Uh, X, what was your favorite and least favorite of all the 80s movies? Uh, Ferris Bueller, definitely my favorite, without a doubt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And least favorite out of those, it's probably like Weird Science is something I never really enjoyed. Weird yeah. Science is probably considered the lamest of everything he he's ever done. He just didn't kind of make that cultural impact for whatever reason that the others did. I mean, yeah. people love that movie, don't get me wrong, but uh, you don't hear a lot of serious conversations today about what it meant to people. Too silly. A little, a little too, too silly. silly. But it's fun. Now, what's your favorite out of all of them? Breakfast Club. Mm. I just thought it was like a perfectly made movie, amazing performances, gorgeous, perfect character arcs. You know, they all go through an amazing uh, transformation, and we learn about who they are. And oh, that kiss at the end with Molly Ringwald and Jed Nelson, awesome. I like how even their parents were oddly stereotyped. <laughs> uh-huh. Their parents <laughs> come driving up, and they fit into it. Did you yep. know that, that Anthony Michael Hall's father in that movie was played, I mean, if you can call it played, I don't think he really had a speaking line, by John Hughes? Ah, I never once noticed that. Mm-hmm. I remember that. From what? I don't know. Last time Susanna it. was in. Probably, yeah. <laughs> um, now, do you have one that you don't like that other people like a lot, and you're like, I never really get into it? Uh, I, that's a good point. Um, I I don't love, you know, Ghostbusters, for example, wow. the way that other people do. It's okay. I like it a wow. lot, but, you know, I don't spend a lot of my adult life thinking about it like mm-hmm. I spent a lot of my adult life thinking about the others. So that's just that's just one that I don't love. Ghostbusters was enormous, an enormous film. Uh, it was. And it was. went on to sell a lot of toys as well. <laughs> I actually have a, I think he's five, maybe six-year-old nephew obsessed with Ghostbusters. <laughs> okay. he should be. And brings up the name Peter Venkman as if it was a normal thing to do. I think he's special. I think special ed special. Oh. <laughs> um, that's but that's me. And that's even without it being in your face. Now you're not seeing the commercials and you're not seeing it on TV constantly. And you still develop that level of interest. Is weird. Unusual. It's a weird thing. Unusual. Here's Joe special. in Philly. Hey, buddies and buddy girls. Yeah. Um, I had uh, actually a quick aside, Ronnie. Nick. Nick Cage is uh, credited as Nicholas Coppola. That's right. He, he started as that. Yeah. Um, uh, truth be told, my, my trivia question, I don't know the answer to it. I was hoping maybe she knew. Um, in 16 Candles, I believe the name is Beth Ringwald. I thought it was Molly's sister, was credited as somebody named Patty. And for the life of me, I was never able to find that character or figure out who that was. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, she doesn't have a speaking role, obviously, but yes, Beth Ringwald is Molly Ringwald's sister. That's just a cameo, basically. Uh, and another thing about Beth Ringwald that's interesting is she had a, a kid with a guy named Jimra Podraski, who was in the band The Rave Ups. And you'll see that when Molly Ringwald's character is walking down the hall clutching her notebook, the band name that she has written real big in marker is The Rave Ups. So it's oh, okay. all connected. Gotcha. It's got everything there. She was like a little princess, wasn't she? She was, she was like, the 80s teen queen. She had it all. She had everything. And Hicks, she felt like you had nothing. Oh, yeah. I, I resented her a little bit, maybe. Did on. you? Oh, yeah, definitely. She had everything. It was great. Mm. What am I doing over in Astoria? <laughs> Dick. Doing the best she could do. That's all. Uh, Stu, West, Westchester. You're on the Fez. Hey, Ronnie. What's up, buddy? Yeah. Um, back to school, Ronnie Dangerfield. The name of his famous dive. The oh. Triple Lindy. Triple Lindy. There you go, Ronnie. You All got right. it, buddy. Uh, which, if you ever get a chance to watch that again, see how little he looks like the guy doing <laughs> the Triple, <laughs> triple Lindy, Lindy with a gray wig glued to the top of his head. I don't know what happened in those days that they always felt like a contest would solve the world. Yeah. But everything would end in a, in a contest back there. Well, well, yeah, if you think about it, you're right. Like, think Karate Kid. I mean, so many of those movies ended yeah. in some kind of a big physical confrontation of sorts. I think that's even one of the things that may, that can classify something as an 80s movie. Because, th- I mean, there's tons of movies that came out in the 80s that we don't think of as 80s movies. You know, that's a very good point. When you say an 80s movie, yeah. you mean a John Hughes type of movie. Right. Whether it was done by him or... Or somebody ripping him off. Right. If I told you Arthur was my favorite 80s movie... I would go Peshaw. You'd say Peshaw. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. And you'd, you'd probably wave your hand at me. Right. In that gesture. That's true. But, um, so so there is, there's some kind of definition for it that I don't think anyone's ever set down in paper, but you know... You know whether a movie is an 80s yeah, movie or they not. They have certain qualities. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the qualities is optimism. It's sort of you believe that everything's going to work out okay. Uh, I, I certainly, you know, I was a kid, a teenager rather, in the 90s. Mm-hmm. I did not see that in the 90s movies as much. That feeling of, right. you know, it's going to be awesome. Things are going to work out great. <laughs> I'm going to give you something that would probably be considered a an 80s movie uh, and a Brad Pack movie but not optimistic, and that's Less Than Zero. Oh, definitely. Less Than Zero is the downer yeah. of the whole <laughs> bunch. They kill off Robert Downey Jr. after forcing him yeah. into gay sex. Yeah. <laughs> that's some heavy stuff in the yeah. film. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Like I said, I spoke to Andrew McCarthy about that movie, and, you know, it's... He had told me that originally, I guess the original script, it was all going to be a little darker and sort of portray this this interesting glimpse into this really weird, dark, twisted world. Yeah. And uh, I guess that when that movie came out, you know, Just Say No started happening in kind of a big way. And so, you know, they added that scene um, where Jamie Gertz's character flushes her cocaine down the toilet. Right. And, you know, that's the kind of scene that I think made audiences and critics roll their eyes. Um, and if they maybe stayed a little truer to their original vision, it might have been a fresher, better movie. It is uh, weird that it must have been tough for all those people to grow up, though, right? I mean, it was tough for any of them to shake out of it. I guess Demi Moore was able to have a career. Anybody else that... Well, look, you know, depends on how you define success. I mean, honestly, most of them are still happy working actors. I mean, they've all had moments of commercial and or critical success since then. I mean, 
you know, Molly Ringwald is on a show now, The Secret Life of the American Teenager. We know we know what Sean, show John Cryer is on. We've right. been talking about that in the news a little bit lately. Uh, you know, Ali Sheedy, about 10 years ago, did an incredible job in this film called High Art, where she won kind of like the indie world's version of an Oscar. I mean, so... Sean Penn. Oh, well... Of course, you know, Sean Penn and people Rob like Lowe. that. He's Rob living Lowe. in Haiti with no money right now. Sean Penn's not doing <laughs> well. <this> week. <laughs> Worried. So, but, but I mean, Demi Moore certainly achieved the biggest, you know, like mass superstardom of any of them. And there was a moment in the 90s when Demi Moore was, I think, the biggest female movie star on the planet. Absolutely. She know? was the highest paid in, yeah. in, in, back in the early to mid 90s. Yeah. Uh, Frank, you're on a fez. Yeah, in Caddyshack, there's a scene where. A waiter gets knocked in the pool. Name that actor. Paulo. Hmm. Um, here's uh, Steve. Steve, you're on Run Fez. Hey, guys. Uh, it was a cop's food show that was on in the 80s. It lasted two seasons, and it end- the last episode ended in a nuclear explosion. I remember this. It was the guys who did Airplane. Oh. But what was the name of that TV show? It was my favorite show when oh. I was, like, eight years old, seven years old. It, um... I'll give you. A, I'll give you a hint too, if you want. Yeah, give us the hint. He always police force was a police squad. He always had his gun underneath his pillow. I don't remember this. Go ahead and give it to us. Either. You got it. Yeah, go ahead and tell us, Steve. Sledgehammer. Oh, oh I'm sledgehammer! Thinking, I'm thinking of, of a totally different one. Thinking totally oh, different. Sledgehammer with David Rashi, right? Wasn't he the star? Yeah, that blonde so. guy with the slicked back hair? Um, I think that's right. And not to be confused with the short-lived cop musical drama show, Cop Rock. Oh, Cop Rock is only a couple episodes, right? right? <laughs> exactly. Um, let's go over to John. John in Virginia, you're on my face. Hey, before I ask my question, Ron, I have to uh, just apologize Friday when I called. A very emotional day. Uh, I, I think I stopped your show um and screeching halt. Don't even I know who you, you are now because I don't even know what you're talking about from Friday. <laughs> all, right, all right. Well, that made me feel better. So all I thought right. my chest. Hey, um, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Mm-hmm. When he's delivering the food to IBM from the pirate place, there's a girl in a Corvette. Who's the girl? Oh. All right. So he looks over and she laughs at him while he's right, in his right, pirate right, outfit. Right, right. And the girl is somebody? Some, yes. It's not Phoebe Cates. Mm-mm. No. Uh, why don't you tell us? Because I can't remember this. I don't remember either. It was it was Nancy Wilson of Heart who ended up marrying oh, Cameron. Of um, course. Who ended up oh. marrying who the book was based off for Fast Times. Cameron Crowe. That's right. Of course. Um, yeah. Now the and now they're no longer married, right? I believe that may be true. All right, there she is. Yeah. In a terrible sweater. Yeah. Well, that was a heart sweater. They called those. That's where the heart girls used to dress. <laughs> Uh, Mike, you're on a fest. Morning, every uh, afternoon, everyone. Yeah. Uh, if from the movie Say Anything, there were three actors <laughs> in that movie that went on to play in different successful roles on TV shows. Can you name them? John Mahoney, who went on to be on Frasier. Correct. Um... I'm trying to think who else went on to be on TV. Uh, oh, J- oh, Jeremy Piven on to Entourage. Correct. Correct. And the girl who had the problem with Joe. What was Lily her? Taylor. Lily Taylor I'm had a to TV think, show, too. Is that who you're thinking of? 
Is well, like... I was B.B. Newworth was on there. She was the teacher. Oh, right, you're right. B.B. Newworth was a cool teacher who comes to the party. Right, 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 right. And it's funny, you know, that she and John Mahoney would have both had those connections to Frasier. That's weird, right, but exactly. I don't even remember B.B. Newworth being in that show, and I, I adore her. She's like the hot teacher that's fun and comes to the party. Uh, you Couldn't Ignore Me If You Tried is the book. Uh, Susanna Gore did this, and it took years to go through all these films. Years to be able to interview the people who made the films, the Molly Ringwalds, Judd Nelsons, you know, Cameron Crowe's, um, and really try to learn the story of how they were made and also examine what made them so important and why people still love them so much. And they're really great. I mean, you go through the writing, you go through the casting, you go through the shooting, and then what happens when it comes out. And film after film after film. What do you think was the central element? We're talking about 80s movies. Yeah. What is something that all these films have to run through, you think? Uh, is there a person? Is there? Yeah, I think there's, there's an idea of feeling like an, an outsider and mm-hmm. kind of trying through the course of the movie to find your place in the world. Either that's through a great friendship, maybe it's through a powerful love, maybe it's through discovering music or something you're passionate about or winning a you know, contest, like we were saying. Right. But there is this feeling of beginning the story feeling like an outsider and then finding love or friendship or just belief in yourself and being a really stronger, happier person by the end. Mm. Hicks, do you remember what the lead character, what 80s movie lead character's name was Hoops? He was a cartoonist named Hoops. Oh, uh, One Crazy Summer? Oh, that's Great good. Movie. That's good. good. I like the yacht race at the end. I'm proud of you. The, thank you. <laughs> well, there was also a yacht race in another film from the 80s, Mr. John Candy. Yep. You got that Summer one? rental. Summer rental. Oh, and it the same way. Let's race. <laughs> and the same thing happened. See who gets the house. You can race a boat and get a house. That didn't have uh, Bob, Bobcat Goldthwait as one of the Scorch Brothers. Oh, yeah, Bobcat. <laughs> that was his big deal. Uh, Ron, Marilyn, you're in Yeah, in uh, St. Elmo's Fire, they were all graduates from Georgetown University, but they couldn't film any of the scenes because right. there was premarital sex. Where was it filmed? It was filmed, and I know this, at the University of Maryland. That's right. Oh, that's a good one, because I didn't yeah. know. I would have said Georgetown. Yeah, because he's exa- the caller is absolutely right. The, uh, the, you know, the Jesuits at Georgetown did not like all the premarital sex and things like that going on. And I interviewed Joel, uh, Joel Schumacher, who directed St. Elmo's Fire. And Joel Schumacher had said to the people at Georgetown, you know, but The Exorcist was filmed here. There's all sorts of crazy stuff going on in The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, the guys at Georgetown said, well, but in The Exorcist, God wins out over the devil, which does oh, not seem to be funny. the case in your movie. <laughs> That's a good line, though. That yeah. is a good line. So they had to shoot at the University of Maryland, and uh, when they did, Rob Lowe was such a huge teen heartthrob that basically all the fans of girls like knocked over the barricade and just kind of rushed his trailer where he was hanging out. And it didn't help that he opened the door naked at one point to let the f- screaming girls see him naked. See, uh, Rob Lowe... Uh, Foreshadow. No nobody remembers how big he, uh, his career was at the time. He was gigantic. Because he had his Charlie Sheen moment. He had his big collapse and sex had to on start sex, over. Yeah. Yeah. He had He's his, doing great on Parks and Recreation now. Parks and Recreation and then also on, at the same time, Californication. Mm-hmm. And he's hysterical on that. What was his comeback? Was it Austin Powers? Yes. Uh, I think you're Wayne's probably Wayne's right. World. Wayne's yeah. World. These were movies where he uh, Wayne's World, he showed yeah. everyone that you know that he could laugh at himself. Yeah. And I think he Saturday Night Live was his first public appearance. Also, after well, see him and Lorne Michaels were friends. And if you look back at that, he got in Wayne's World and he got in Tommy Boy, and it mm-hmm. looked like he was being 
kind of helped being brought back in yep. by his buddy. He's well, genuinely hil- hilarious guy. I mean, he's so gorgeous and sexy looking that people don't always realize how funny he is. But what's great about these roles he's been doing in recent years is it, it, it he can shine as a comic guy. He's brilliant in terms of humor. Did did you interview him for the yes, book? Yes, I did. He was great. And he had so many f- funny, smart-ass answers to things, plus some really deep, beautiful answers to questions. I thought he was a really interesting guy. When you were interviewing all these people, did, was there anyone still hurt? Were they still feeling like, hey... Because I know yeah. they all got their feelings hurt by John Hughes because he didn't yeah. stay in touch. I mean, I think there were a lot of complicated feelings. Look, now, time heals all wounds. For the most part, they are all pretty much at peace with, you know, the Brat Pack moniker. Right. Now that it has a kind of cool romantic tone to it. But, you know, I, I definitely sensed moments where people still sounded wounded even all these years later. I mean, like when I interviewed John Cryer about how they re- reshot the ending of Pretty in Pink, mm-hmm. uh, he told me about how the day they had shot the ending in which she would have ended up with him... That Molly Ringwald had a flu or something and was kind of fainting that day. And he still sounded in his voice a little sad or wounded that, you know, that they weren't able to really shoot it the way he would have wanted to shoot it, in which she ended up with him. And, Did I she mean, fake it, you think, so she didn't have to end up no, with him? No, I don't think so. In fact, she was so sick they had to rent her a room in that hotel. She couldn't even go home at, at night, you know, to back and forth from the set. But, I mean, there are a lot of examples in my book of times where people were very honest, even all these years later, about things that maybe hurt them. Uh, that's you couldn't ignore me if you tried, uh, and you can pick that up Amazon, any local bookstores. It's available everywhere. Here's uh, Jace uh, Sean in New in Jersey. Uh, Ronnie B, let me just start by saying, great guest. I love people like this. Awesome Thank conversation. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> not to be crude, but I think I have a trivia question that's really going to stump her tits off. Oh All my right? goodness, that is crude. No. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's XL. It's XL channel. All right, here we go. Can you tell me who was originally cast? to play Marty McFly in the first Back to the Future. He even, po- he even filmed a few scenes, but they decided that... They filmed a lot of it. That would be Eric Stoltz. Mm-hmm. Oh. And I can even maybe stump you. Do you okay. know who originally in that in that version of the film played his girlfriend, Jennifer, when Eric Stoltz was doing the role? Do you know who that was? Anybody here? No, I don't know this one. I always heard Eric Stoltz. It's the beautiful actress Melora Hardin, from we, who we know from The Office now. The tall blonde, who's the on-again, off-again love interest of Steve Carell. I, I, I had no idea this. Yeah, and when Michael J. Fox was brought in, you know, he was so much shorter, Michael J. Fox. And so you couldn't have Melora Hardin, a very tall actress wow. like that. So they recast the role of Jennifer and... Uh, a Could beautiful. you imagine, though, that and that really must have set her career back like years, because she would have been, you know, would have been a household uh, name after that. It's really interesting, isn't it, when you think of the ripple effects of all these things. The the one eighties movies that that I didn't like, I can't even remember the name of it. I'm sure you do. Um, with Demi Moore and John Cryer, oh, and he was I like a that photographer one. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I, was I, that I, no small affair. That was it. And uh, what's his name? Was the father in that? The um, the Hey now, guy. Really? Yeah. I have just hazy he memories said to John of it. You like to take the snaps, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I always thought that that was hysterical. John Cryer, you know, there's a lot of makeout scenes in that movie with him and Demi Moore, and, and he told me that he got he contracted mono while shooting that film. And I said, "Did you get it from Demi Moore?" And he goes, "Well, I'm not going to say. I like to think that I'm discreet, or something like that." But I think it's good, and I think it's kind of fun. If you're really into '80s movies and you haven't seen this one, it might be worth a Netflix. I got to give it another shot. Now here. Here's one that always depresses me, though, because David Mamet had a great uh, play called Sexual Perversity oh, yeah. in Chicago that they remade as... About Last Night. About Last Night, and t- kind of turned it into a 
I'm not a teen comedy then, an early Yeah, like 20s. a young adult yeah. kind of thing. And it seemed like they just ripped the, the heart of it out. I mean, I think the thinking behind it was, uh, you know, Rob Lowe and Demi Moore were arguably the two sexiest, hottest members of the quote-unquote Brat Pack. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was like the hottest guy, and she was kind of the hottest girl. And wouldn't it be interesting to see what happens when you make a really hot, sexy, steamy movie with the two of them together? I mean, it got sort of mixed reviews at the time. Yeah, it actually got better reviews than I thought. Yeah. I looked it up. A lot of people did like it, but I don't think it really did for either career what maybe they would have hoped it would have, you know? Oddly, it looked a lot to me like a brother making out with his sister. <laughs> I think that they looked too much alike. Yeah. There was something weird about that film. Well, they were really good friends in real life, and I think it was weird a little bit for them because they were such platonic close friends, you know, to do these mm. intense makeout scenes. Um, Tom, you're on a fez. Tom. Hey, Ron. Yeah. Question for you. In the movie Can't Buy Me Love, what was the name of the major dance scene? Question number one. Question number two. Well, let's let's go one at a time. I know they got the, the the dance scene from watching National Geographic, right? Right. right. So it was some kind of African yeah. dance thing. I can't remember the exact name. Give us that, Tom. Af- African ant eater dance. Oh, Man, yes. I would, I swear to God, I was going to say anteater, and I thought it sounded stupid. <laughs> I kept it to myself. I'm really mad. I'm really angry right now. All right, what's your second one? In the same movie, what famous 90s uh, pop star uh, was one of the members of the baseball team? Oh. Whoa. I, this I don't one know. One-hit wonder. A one-hit wonder from the 90s. I don't know. Oh. Consider me stumped. What is it? Rico Suave. Oh, wow, we never would have got that. that. Yeah, no, he was just in the background, just kind of a bit player. Uh, no, he had some lines in it, but yeah, he was uh, he was a background guy. Wow, I did I did not know that. I learned something every day. Patrick Dempsey might be the only guy who played the the stereotypical geek can't get a girl guy who then turned out to be the hot yeah, guy of yeah. television of night television yeah. prime time. Yeah. He's doing good. His that movie where he was uh, the pizza delivery guy was one of my favorites mm-hmm. from the eighties. Um, well, which one was that? What ended up happening? Was it Loverboy? Oh Lover Boy. yeah. So where he started, uh, he needed to raise money, and so he started uh, pretending to be delivering pizzas. And if they ordered anchovies, he'd prostitute with the. Yeah. Why would anyone believe that there was a great need <laughs> in the suburbs for male prostitution? <laughs> You know what people don't realize? Most male prostitution is for other males. It's not for lonely housewives. (laughs) That only happens in the movies. All right, we got a break here. Can you stick around, Susanna? Can you hang out with us? My pleasure. Uh, You couldn't ignore me if you tried the Brat Pack, John Hughes, and their impact on a generation. Uh, Hicks, is this something you like to get into for yourself? Oh yeah, why not? Yeah. Let's go for it. Since you didn't have a childhood at all? <laughs> Basically. You didn't have high school years? No. All right, we're going to pick up more when we get back. It's the Ron Fez Show. Fez Show on the virus. Series 197. XM202. You don't like my policies. You can just come on down here and smooch my big old white butt. Cat. Pucker up, buttercup. What? There's viewers online, too.
It's the Ron and Fed Show, talking about 80s movies with Susanna Gora. This is uh, You Couldn't Ignore Me If You Tried. It's now out in paperback. Uh, congratulations for that Thank as well. Thank you. It means a lot to me. Now, here's something that's kind of sad. One of the big of the 80s teen kids. Again, forgotten yeah. in the in memoriam, uh, Corey Haim. Yeah. Um, and out of all those crazy movies, I don't know what it is about that vampire movie Lost that I like. Lost Boys. Love it. Lost Boys is awesome. a beautiful movie, by the way. Yeah. Um, Joel Schumacher, Joel Schumacher, Schumacher exactly. Shot that. Sexy, yeah. poignant. You know, he was doing the cool vampire thing way before Twilight, you know? Right, that's true. And if you go back and watch that, it looked like they had Corey Haim set up as a gay kid that was going to hmm. be gay. Interesting. And Joel Schumacher uh, is gay, but he had stuff set up on the windows. Like, he had boys... Put, it almost like the posters on his wall yeah. were like what a little girl would have, and not a little boy. <laughs> so it looks like he was a gay kid who hadn't figured it out yet. Well, you know, there's a lot of outcry today about the fact that there was no Corey Haim in memoriam on the right. Oscars. It's crazy. I mean... You know, the the montage that they do every year, um, I know it's so important to show various, you know, producers and sound editors and stuff right. like that. But uh, to a lot of people, certainly of my generation, Corey Haim is a lot more meaningful to them. The two Coreys were very, very important yeah. uh, part of that. They made, what, like four or five movies yeah, together? Yeah, a bunch of movies together. And by the way, speaking of the Oscars and tributes, wasn't it incredible last year at the Oscars when they did that amazing long tribute to Stunned. John Hughes? I mean, again, when I was watching the show last night, and I saw how, how people normally get just a little two, three second mm-hmm. photo of them during a montage. And I thought it was really extraordinary that they gave John Hughes that tribute last they year. They didn't even let Francis Ford Coppola speak last night. And he had to stand around two other people. <laughs> and he's put out what's considered probably, if not the number one movie of all time, uh, the number two movie. And that's The Godfather. Right. And for that thing for John Hughes, who was obviously ignored critically throughout his whole career. Yeah. I was stunned last year. Yeah. But I think it's taken some time for that thing to be done for for people to go, wow, how could one person pull off all the things yeah. they did? Yeah, uh, everything about the 80s. When I was in college and we um, talked about theme parties and having an 80s party, I remember thinking there will never be a moment when the 80s are, are something cool or that you'll look back <laughs> on and try and imitate. We actually thought we had a culturally bankrupt decade and it was an embarrassment. Everybody, everybody thinks that at the time. Right. Yeah. And then after the fact, their kids think it's the most hysterical thing in the whole world. Yeah. So 80s parties are gigantic in schools yeah. now. And now, awesome. you know, going through these movies, you know, I forgot Lost Boys was in the 80s. I feel like the 80s was 30 years instead of 10. Like This yeah. couldn't all have taken place in the 80s. And yeah. some of these movies were not nearly as big as you think. Like... We're talking about some of these people that we call movie stars, but at the time they were probably pretty far down on the chain. Like the two Corys yeah. probably never got rich off of it. Yeah. And Right, so many of their movies were small, but there's a certain love you will have, an extra love you'll have for something that was small. Yeah. And when you meet someone else who also has a strong memory for that small thing, right. you have an instant connection. It's true. And part of why I think the 80s movies seared into people's souls mm-hmm. the way that they did. It's a little cheesy. But I think it's because that's when the VCR became so huge. And so true. you could rent these movies, watch them a hundred times the way you could mm. before with your favorite book or listen to your favorite album a hundred times. You could memorize the lines. You could you know, treat the characters almost like your own friends. And this was the first generation to be able to have that kind of an intimate relationship with their movies in that way. I hadn't really thought about it, it's but really true. that is 
a fact that you started to treat movies like they were albums. Like, mm-hmm. you would have a favorite movie that you could watch over and over, and people started to do the kind of stuff that we're doing trivia. Because in the 70s, yeah. if you wanted, if you said, oh, my favorite movie uh, of, you know, all time, whatever it happened to be, you were going to say it once a year tops. Yeah, you couldn't do, You couldn't get together in a group. You could all go to the movies in a group, but then you couldn't sit and yell the lines. Right. Unless you're going to Rocky Horror, you couldn't do Let that. Let me ask you this. Do you consider the Chevy Chase movies, 80s movies, the Fletches and all that? I didn't. You know, I was just thinking, I wonder if people would consider Caddyshack to be an 80s movie. I, can, I do. Um, I, I, I probably do. wouldn't have thrown it in there, but there's no reason you shouldn't. And yeah. the Fletch, the Fletch oh, and the Vacation God. movies, sure. I consider Lo- them. Definitely Vacation. Um, and yeah, I guess Fletch, too. I love Fletch. Vacation, let's not forget, a John Hughes script. And really, if you look at it, the early stuff that Tom Hanks did almost said, like to me, John uh, Cusack kind of picked up where Tom Hanks was doing like in the early 80s, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that Bill Murray and and uh, and also Hanks had so much to do with the comedy that kind of followed that. You know, that all those kids started to do that, but even at a younger age. Yeah, even you know? I mean, I think even more Bill Murray, but you're prob- that's probably true about Hanks too. Mm-hmm. Um, but Hanks was kind of doing Murray in a way, but if you look back, like he did like Bachelor Party and stuff, that's an yeah. 80s movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, that wasn't a serious film. It yeah. was, you know, pretty... Sub- Michael Keaton kind of did those things at first. Uh, here's Jeff. Jeff, you're on Fez. Yeah, guys. Great show. Uh, a couple of things. I uh, was going to ask, well, number one, some of these smaller films, you know, didn't make it in the box office big, but because of cable TV's breakout in the 80s, that's where I watched a lot of these 80s films yeah. because mm-hmm. we couldn't go to the, you know, we can always go to the movie theater, but we definitely could go and watch it right on the TV, you know, on HBO, watching some of these movies like 80 times, you know, during a month. Well, that's when so. HBO first kind of came out in the early 80s and stuff. They would just keep rerunning the same that's movies. Right. And there was great sort of synergy in terms of marketing because, you know, for example, when Breakfast Club was hitting theaters, you know, maybe that's when 16 Candles is just starting to be on HBO. And, yeah. you know, then same thing happens when it, Breakfast Club's on HBO. Maybe that's when Pretty in Pink is in theaters. I mean, just one kind of built on the next and built on the next like that. But I definitely agree even more about the, your point about the VCR thing because, you know, with cable, it's you, you catch it when it comes on. You might be with your family. You might be mm-hmm. alone when it comes on. But yeah. with the VCR, you could actually say Saturday night we're all going to sit right. together and watch this. Or, or by yourself. Look, let's not forget a lot of these are movies about maybe being lonely as a kid, not having the boyfriend or girlfriend you want or not having the friends you want. And you can watch these movies and kind of feel like these are your friends. Like a lot of kids in the suburbs were Jewish, and we didn't even know it at the time, and then you find out later. Uh, Mark, you're so Fez. It's sad. Mark. Yeah, one of my uh, favorite movies from the 80s was the uh, Val Kilmer movie, Real Genius. Love it. And, <laughs> am, am I wrong, or does the guy that lives in the closet, is he a Pepper Hicks uh, doppelganger? Oh, you're completely wrong. Um, Uncle Rico? That was, we do have his doppelganger, and that's Laszlo, because remember the guy's name was Laszlo? Yeah. And now anyone who's kind of smart gets nicknamed Laszlo. I'll always refer back to Laszlo. Who was the main character? I remember that guy being in a bunch of 80s movies, but I haven't seen him since. Where did he go? Who, Val Kilmer? Or the little kid? No, the nerdy nerdy, uh, brunette guy. I, I think he was one of those guys that didn't grow into his face all that well. Mm-hmm. That sometimes happens with little kid actors. Um, 
Higgs, you didn't like uh, Real Genius? It was crazy. I, I, when I watched it, I didn't realize it was to be that fucking nuts. Like ice fucking, when they made the ice machines and shit. Yeah. It was I, very enjoyable. But and that I, was actually based on like a real guy, they said. <laughs> that some of these guys were like that. Remember, these were the guys that kind of came up with like computers and shit at that age. A lot of the weird. That's when nerds kind of, you know, start to get rich. Yeah. yeah. Nerds weren't getting rich. But, yeah, but it is true. And that was an era when people were not even really imagining things like that. Um, Paul, you're on a fez. Hey, Ronnie, I was wondering if, you're, uh, if your guest, did she get a chance to interview Michael Keaton since he had so many movies in the 80s and that's kind of when he kind of made his debut? I didn't because, you know, my book mainly focuses on the great 80s teen movies, but I think Michael Keaton's great. Do you have a favorite Michael Keaton 80s movie? Yeah. Oh, he's already gone. No. Uh, there was so many of them. I liked Mr. Mom. I yeah. thought that that was great. Well, you know, John Hughes wrote Mr. Mom. Oh, yeah, that's right. He wrote right. the script. And he wrote Vacation. Yeah, I mean, he was an incredibly prolific screenwriter. When you look at a lot of people's D- uh, IMDb page, though, screenwriters, you'll see they'll write like three or four screenplays, and then you never see them again. And they'll write those three or four things that, that finally get produced over the course of like 20 years. Where Do you even know how many screenplays that he actually had? Produced. Oh, I mean, we're looking dozens, at like twenty, dozens, right? Yeah, it, it, I think around that. And and by the way, there are probably hundreds more that he wrote that never got produced because he could write a script in literally forty-eight hours. I mean, he wrote Ferris Bueller in forty-eight hours. Um, I wonder why somebody just doesn't go. Let's take one of those scripts that hasn't yeah. been done and and do it now. I mean, I've 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 heard that maybe the family might be sort of thinking about what to do with that. I mean, can you imagine what a treasure trove that would be? I mean, for for film school students, if nothing else, I mean, uh, even if I, they don't do anything commercial with it, just th- to study it would be incredible. I think there's a uh, I think there's a market. Kevin Smith uh, loves him, by the way. Kevin Smith, yes, uh, thinks John Hughes is the shit out of all the of the screenwriters he talks about. Well, in Dogma, don't the characters go on a search for yeah. uh, Shermer, they Illinois? Try to find yeah, him yeah. Um, here is uh, Keith. Keith, you're on Fez. Hey, Ron. What do you got for Ronnie. me, buddy? Uh, yeah, two things. Number one, you guys were talking about uh, Tom Hanks, and, and I, I really think, you know, in the 80s, he did all that comedy stuff. Where do you think that movie was for him that switched him from that comedic role to the serious role? And, uh, and real quick, too, you were talking about the, the main actor from Real Genius. He was actually in Karate Kid 3. Ooh. Got, he got punched in the face in the club by Daniel LaRusso. If you look it up uh, online, I will. Wow. And Frost Nixon. Take oh care. I saw Frost Nixon and I didn't recognize him. What did he do there? He was the speechwriter. Ken Cashigan? Cashigan? Huh. What? Nixon's speechwriter. I never saw him. He was. I know he had people walking along with him. Now I got to rewatch that. And as far as when Hanks got serious, I mean, maybe it was in that Jackie Gleason movie that was kind of half comedy, half I'm taking care of my dad. It might have been the the when he finally got the romantic comedy mm-hmm. out the uh, Sleepless in Sleepless, Seattle. Yeah. I mean, I think definitely in Sleepless in Seattle, we it was a comedy, but there was so much drama. I mean, you know, he plays a young widower right. uh, trying to be a good dad to his little son who doesn't have a mother. I mean, there's a lot of like poignant stuff going on there too, and. Uh, I was reminded last night again on the Oscars of how incredible he was in Philadelphia. I mean, to me, that was, whoa. I mean, he had really made the leap at that point uh, into just being an incredible dramatic actor who could handle any role. The the really good thing, though, is that he didn't have AIDS. That he was just Thankfully. Yeah, thankfully. 
Uh, this was, went really fast, Susanna. Again, it was great having you come Thank in you here. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, you really need to uh, relive these things. And, and I love the fact that you can be nostalgic about this. But if you have any interest in show business as well, and how the movie gets made, and how it's get cast, and and what one of the things that gets into me is, even though this guy would have successes, they would still come back and go, no, we're not going to approve of that. Hollywood drives me crazy. <laughs> I could have been a, a gigantic movie studio if I would have just let this guy do anything he wanted. I said to John Hughes, go ahead, book it, yeah, and I'll get paid for it. <laughs> it's insane to me how they try to stop creativity. You couldn't ignore me if you tried. You can check it out on Amazon uh, and in, in bookstores all over the place. Uh, so great to see you again, Susanna Gora. We appreciate it. I never, never asked you. Are you working on another book of any type? I'm, or? I'm thinking very carefully about what the next one will be. I think you ought to do 90s movies after this and just Maybe so. keep moving through the decades. <laughs> uh, we'll see you guys back in here tomorrow. Saran Fez Show. Yeah, you might go.